Hey guys, it's Walter, and welcome back to SkullKnight.net's podcast, The Skullcast, for episode six. With me again, I have Azil and Griff. Say hello, guys. Hi. Hello. And we're back to talk about Skull Knight. This is part three. We're hoping to wrap up the discussion of Skull Knight because we know it's been going on for three full episodes. But, the, you know, there's quite a bit to say about Skull Knight. And I can't remember, I can't remember if I said this last podcast or not, but if you go, if, you, if we said we're just going to talk about the character himself, that was the opening part of this discussion. But if you follow his character, he takes you on a tour of the biggest events of the series. So you kind of have to talk about the tangential stuff that goes along with his appearances as well. I mean, he shows up for the biggest things that happen. So, I mean, it's, it's, it's inevitable that we're going to kind of go on tangents and talk about other big stuff as well. So it's just kind of our tour guide for Berserk. But um, we left off last time at the end of Volume 24. We actually barely even finished 24 at the very end. But that's fine. Uh, we see him again in 26. And he actually makes something like four different appearances in 26. He's all over this volume. I mean, it's kind of like the SK volume in terms of his number of appearances. But I wanted to open up to you guys and see what you guys thought of uh, what was significant about his appearances here. I mean, the way he enters in 26 is pretty pretty awesome. Well, yeah, that's what I was going to say first of all, is Go that it's it's really cool how he comes in because you can just barely see like the outline of him like literally killing all the trolls as he blows by everybody <laughs> yeah. to where they can't recognize him. Yeah, actually, it's it's pretty cool. Shiruken is Shiro can't even see who he is because uh, he was so fast. Also, it's it's interesting because Puck recognizes him. Oh, does he? Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Right, yeah. Puck recognizes that. him from the time uh, he saw him. Uh, you know, during just before the incarnation ceremony. Yeah. But uh, yeah, he goes so fast they can't even see what's happening. Yeah, it's it's pretty <laughs> awesome. But you know, what things that's interesting to me is that uh, SK starts going there before Slan starts to appear. So it could hint at the fact he could either predict her appearance or detect that she was appearing before it actually happened. He he goes there just before she appears to Guts. I, I yeah, thought that yeah. was pretty interesting. You're you're right. I, that, I never thought about that. That is really interesting. Well, maybe yeah. it's as simple as he can just already feel her presence there yeah. as it was coming in. Yeah. So Still, that's a pretty quick appearance. Yeah. But yeah. Well, he's a pretty fast guy, but yeah, in any case, it shows that he, you know... Has foreknowledge. He was proactive. Yeah. Um, one of the... Obviously, he and Slan have this exchange whenever he finally shows up. He throws his... Uh, one of his parts of his armor off. Very creative use of his armor. <laughs> yeah, actually, yeah. Just kind of breaks <laughs> it off and throws the scully orang at her. Yeah. And it actually reappears later on when you see him again in 28. It's back on, and I wonder how that happens, but... Probably doesn't even matter, really. Um, you know, he's got a magical armor, so much like the Berserker's armor can regenerate itself, I'm pretty sure yeah. his armor can also regrow itself. Uh, you know, they're both magical armors, so... Sure, sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah we see it true. again with his shield after he fights uh, Zod. Zod later on. <clears throat> yeah. Right, right. He gets some claw marks, and which are healed. We've, we've touched on it before, but he and Slan have this exchange where uh, she calls him Your Majesty... And he calls her, well, the Dark Horse translation is Whore Princess of the Uterine Sea. But that's <laughs> not even close to the actual translation, which is, um, oh, I forgot what the Japanese is. Um, Harawada no Shoki. That's right, Harawada no Shoki. 
which means prostitute of intestines, but pr- prostitute, uh, the intestines part means a couple different things as well. As yeah, I it's, a, it's, a, it's a pun, actually. You know, right. the Uterian word is not, uh, is not incorrect, actually, mm. because it refers to the, you know, Clifforth. But, you know, yeah, he basically calls a courtesan, like it's a, you know, what's a noble term for prostitute. Mm-hmm. So he, calls a, he calls her a prostitute, but he always speaks politely. You know, like I mentioned in the you know previous podcast, he speaks very nobly, continuously, mm-hmm. like a, a high person, well, yeah. like a king. And so he calls her a prostitute. And yeah, it has a pun on uh, the fact she's made out of intestines and also the fact she's, you know, the she's, a, I wouldn't say the lord, but she's a ruler of the Clifforth, which is, yeah. uh, she, how to say, she makes a parallel be, be, between it and uh, her womb. Right, yeah. She calls, this area is like my womb, which she says later on when she's raising trolls and ogres. Yeah, of, she, she the, calls uh, children of darkness. But the, the next part of this conversation I thought was interesting because Skolna himself, he, he doesn't quite know what the deal was with Slan's appearance either. He says, so you were the only one summoned is what he says. Yeah. But he's, he's surprised not to see the others. And Slan lays it out for him that this is what I found really fascinating is the way she talks about the other God hand members. It's like, they don't have a lot of communication just like, yeah, I don't know what they're doing. They're probably, you know, in their own, uh, Sapphira's is what she says, but, but it kind of implies that they don't really talk much in between, <laughs> you know, ceremonies. They're just kind of like, yeah. they have, they're in their own little, they're in, the, they're in their own little areas that they gravitate towards. They're not friends after work is sort of right. what it implies. Like they're, <laughs> yeah. they're coworkers, but yeah, they're not, it's not like it's a, you know, <laughs> Void's never been to Slan's house. It's yeah, one of yeah, those yeah. relationships. When's the last time you had Ubik over for dinner? You know? <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, I think it's uh, consistent with uh, you know how they've been presented to us overall, which is they're basically they all have their individual goals, but mm-hmm. they are united through the idea of evil towards a common goal. But you know, they're like they're serving the same master and they're some kind of teammates. But yeah, they're not really friends or they're not a very cl- closely knit uh, group. Right, right. And, of course, uh, Skull Knight's there. Is he there to attack Slon or save Guts, do you think? Well, I, I think he came to save Guts primarily, yeah. but, you know, it's not like... The, the, the two are not mutually, uh, you know, what to say, exclusive. Yeah. So, basically, yeah. he came to save Guts, but if he can get a shot at the gold hand, I think he's always ready for that. Right, right. I also think he's there for Guts because he doesn't really... He never makes a move on her. He he makes an opening for Guts to attack. Her yeah. ultimately it happens. And it's it's like, also very cool because it's the first time you see these two working together to a certain extent. Yeah. It's actually interesting because uh, she summons a lot of ogres and uh, trolls to to keep him busy. And he just we see him, you know, going through them like butter as, as usual, you know. But he doesn't lose sight of what matters. And te- he's the one who tells Guts to use his cannon. Like, he, he has seen that Guts is, you know, preparing something. And he tells him, now, go for it now. Such yeah. a thing. Right. And I think there's a pretty significant scene here, which is, after the cannon shot, yeah, we see it's ineffective. It's also Skull Knight which tells uh, Guts about, uh, you know, the Dragon Slayer's power to hurt Slan, which is something Shiruke remarked uh, a little earlier on, you know, the shadow around the sword. And he, te- he is the one who tells Guts and also explains it to the viewer that through all the evil creatures Guts has killed, the sword has acquired the ability to hurt astral yeah. beings. Right. 
And of course, it comes into play later as well. But this is the first time we get a definition of what it is that's unique about the Dragon Slayer, independent of its physical properties, obviously. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I wonder if that also translates onto Skull Knight. And he's been around for a thousand years doing this. So who knows what properties are on his sword or if he even works the same way. Yeah, for sure. Well, well I think it's the same thing. He's killed a lot of you know evil creators. So it probably has the same kind of ability. Well, it's yeah. hard to say, but you know, and going back to the sword, it's actually useful later on when Gus and Zod uh, fight off Ganishka's cloth. Of or, course, you know, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it comes back again at the time. It's, it's pretty interesting. Because also, go ahead. Now I was going to say, while uh, Slan is just repelled by the, I mean, she's uh, dispelled, her spell is dispelled, she goes away, but she's not hurt. But, you know, Ganishka's actually pretty badly hurt by the sword. He has his huge scar on his forehead and it pains him, such a thing. Yeah. Yeah. What What's I interesting like... uh, with... Sorry. Uh, no, no, no. I will, I will, you go ahead. All right. Uh, what uh, what I find interesting about it is, yeah, like she doesn't exactly like react. Like not only does she have the whole like you know like the whole pain pleasure reaction, but she's also it's not like she's worried about it either. Like oh no, you know you've got the weapon, you know that can stop us. You know she like doesn't care. Yeah. Like she's actually sort of thrilled, you know, just by the whole thing. Like it's like a hoot for. Her. Almost. Yeah. It's like this is sort of good, clean fun as far as Slan is concerned. It, it reminds me of what Yubik's uh, reaction when the Skull Knights have guts and Casca from the, you know, quotation <laughs> ceremony. He's like clapping his hands and laughing. Yeah. Oh, incredible. Oh, I didn't predict it. So yeah. Yeah, they're just having fun. You know, they don't, they don't give a shit. They are not at all worried about it. Right. I can't remember where it is, actually. I think it's volume 13. Something happens where, oh, I know what it is. When Guts. <laughs> When Guts breaks his knife against an apostle uh, in 13, yeah. uh, the end of the knife starts spinning out into the air and almost hits <laughs> yes. Rubik, and he kind of like dances away like, oh! <laughs> yeah, he, he dodges it, yeah. Yeah, yeah. and so yeah, it, it's, it's playful to them, like the fact that these things would try to hurt them, you know? Yeah, they're having fun. Yeah. They are being entertained by lesser beings pretty much, like, you know, a yeah. king watching a buffoon burn himself or something. Exactly, yeah. And when he's tired of it, he just, you know, snap his fingers and the guy's put to death. Right. And, um, of course, they Guts and Skull Knight escape the cliff off by SK testing out his new weapon. Or actually, sorry, that's presuming a lot. Yeah. We presume that Yobi Mizuno in Azurugi is a new weapon, but he says he planned to use this to entomb the God Hand in the Vortex. What? Actually, yeah, it's uh, to me it's a big deal of the scene and even of the volume as far as the Skull Knight is concerned. Of course, he says he's, he reveals what all those berries we see him soloing were for. You know, at the yeah. time it was a really huge deal for us because mm-hmm. we always wondered what, why he was doing it, and then it's revealed it's for that purpose. And uh, yeah, it's a, it's a pretty big deal. He, yeah, yeah. Well, I was just gonna say I remember some of the shitty theories we had was, you know, my my running thing was. He was taking the Behirits out of circulation. That was the whole thing. He was just removing yeah. them as an element of, you know, the idea of evil's agents, basically. Well, that's a that's a good theory, though. I mean, because yeah, I mean, yeah. that's like the simplest explanation, yeah. right? So, and but it has a function. You know, he's actually yeah. collecting them. And you know, one thing I wanted to talk about Zeal, and tell me if you think this is correct or not. The the next page after he puts the sword in his mouth and he pulls it out, he, the, his terminology he uses in the Dark Horse volume is that he refined the Behirits within himself. And it made me think that it's not simply the Behirits inside of him, but I wonder if there's some kind of reaction that's happening because he's an astral being himself, similar to what happens with Ganeshka uh, and how he becomes uh, reincarnated again. 
by walking in the the apostle conglomeration. I wonder if it's something like that. Like because it's an astral being inside an astral being, there's some kind of you know unique uh, thing that happens inside them that causes the new properties to evolve. Well, yeah. Well, you know, going back to what you said just before. I don't think, uh, again, it's not mutually exclusive, you know, that he could be taking them out of circulation while making the sword. I mean, in both cases, it benefits him. Sure. Yeah. And to, to go back to the, the sword's name, you know, the Yobimizu no Surugi, <clears throat> which is a Japanese, uh, Japanese sentence for it, uh, I wanted to point out that it refers to, you know, a sentence which is uh, used during the eclipse to refer to the Barrett's, which is uh, Ikae no Yobimizu, <clears throat> which means, you know, how to say that they are priming, like priming a pump, and you know, like a water pump being primed. Yeah, exactly. And uh, it's a term which is pretty complicated to refer to the fact. Well, not really complicated, but a bit, you know, how to say, poetic, you know, metaphorical to refer to the fact that it's open a gate towards another world. Right. So yeah, and it re- and it of course has a connotation of water. Which mm-hmm. is something we might talk about maybe another time, but you know, it's a uh, running, you know. Yeah, many of the spiritual terms in Berserk or, or astral terms relate to water. Yeah, specific- many, many of them. Specifically those uh, which are relating to the deeper part of right. the astral world, like the abyss. All of this is related to water, the ocean, the vortex, you know, a sea of souls. It's all about water. Right. And anyway, uh, yeah, regarding what you said, yeah, I think uh, it's not just the Beherits, you know. Like, the Skull Knight, while they were stored in his body, of course, we don't know the process, the exact process, and I don't think we'll ever get to know it. But, yeah, he, you know, transforms them, or they were transformed by a process which allows him to use them like that. Sure. So, we can't know what it is, but, yeah, it's not like he just took Beherits and, you know, heated them, and they melted, and he caught them on his sword. It's not like that. I think there's a process which is more complicated. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so do I. And of course, we're never going to know the actual function of it. It just reminded me of the way Ganeshka used the inside of apostles to transform to into human babies into Daka. Yeah, yeah. Actually, that, that you know that kind of Daka making machine is you know it's not really even a machine, it's just some kind of device. I sure. Think. I don't know right. what to call it because it's organic. But in any case, it's you know it, it was quite impressive to me at the time and actually quite inventive. I have to say. Yeah. And quite gross. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wait, which one are we talking about now? The sco- the, yeah. the DACA? The DACA? Yeah, the DACA machine. Oh, yeah. Well, that's freaking horrifying. Yeah. Yeah. So he, puts, he brings the sword out. And what does the sword do exactly? Now, we had this pre-understanding of the way the, the world is divided into layers. Well, so yeah, the, the, the Austral world, yeah, specifically. Right. The, well, I mean, the entire Berserk world has different. They have the physical layer, the astral layer, the ideal layer. Yeah, yeah, I know, but you know, Shiruke, when she mentions layers of the worlds, she refers to the astral world specifically. I mean, I mean, there's three worlds: the physical mm-hmm. one, the astral world, and the world of ideas. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, the astral world is the one which is specifically divided in layers. It's the one to which she refers to specifically as being layered. Right, right, deeper within the astral world, things like that. Right. Yeah, okay. yeah, and there's also you know within these layers also territories. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like the, the Clifford, it's a territory within the Easter world. So there's these two, these two notions, territories and layers. It's, it's a bit uh, messy because we are not told very precisely how it works. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, we, we have 
the Cliffhoth is, is our best example of what happens in the astral world yep. because we see creatures are basically gathered together. Of I think Shirk calls it some similar uh, odd. They yeah. gravitate towards y- each other. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I mean, it, it's 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 presumed that creatures like Marrows probably exist in their own territory, just as creatures like the Kelpie exist in their own territory. Things like that. Well, actually, it's even more complicated because <clears throat> the cliff force is a bit, I, I would say, deep within the astral world. <laughs> but <clears throat> the Kelpie, for example, it was just, you know, wandering, roaming yeah. world, like, you know, near rivers and such. So I, I don't think it's just limited to territories. Much like the Meros, they are in the sea. I don't know. They probably have a territory which could be their basis, like whether there's a city, under underwater city or something like that. But, mm. you know, that's very speculative. Sure. But either way, however it's divided, he's he's able to slash through the layers yeah. and to access another layer. And and in this instance, he uses it twofold. He uses it as an escape method, but also to uh, to close open the, the place down. Yeah, yeah. right. He, he to used, suck everything into the abyss. Yeah, he first uses it to collapse the the cliff force. And yeah, it's it's actually pretty impressive because he slashes and it opens directly to the fucking vortex. You know, right? Oh, yeah. yeah. What's What's really cool about the the portrayal of the vortex is in that big two page spread where it has the vortex being uh, sucking down everything. In the first, the top left panel, you see the bodies of the vortex's souls begin pulling things down. They actually reach for guts. Yeah. And, and SK. And what I was thinking when I was reading this was, were they going for guts or were they going for guts and SK? Yeah. I don't know, you know. <laughs> actually, we can never know, but yeah, exactly. they're yeah. going for them. Yeah. Yeah. It, it was pretty interesting. Yeah. And you can see the the whole place is dying, you know, and melting just afterwards, mm-hmm. you know. Even, you know, farther ahead when uh, Guts, you know, I, I mean, when Isidro found his in Cascara, right. the whole thing is collapsing. Right. Which is, of course, also due to the fact um, Shirke summoned a spirit, which is basically making everything rot away. Yeah, and, and Slan's departure. This whole thing was very complicated at yeah. the time for us because we didn't have a very good translation. I don't think for a while it took a long time. But yeah, I mean, there's a couple things, a couple things happening that complicate the easy explanation. But Slan's departure, the use of the Yobimizu no Zarugi, and the Lord of Rotting Roots completely decimates the area. Basically, yeah. it's collapsing on it's, itself. It's so. overkill, basically. Right. You just got the whole place got nuked. Well, yeah, it it is like pretty much genocide for all those weird creatures. It's funny to think about, but like it's like you know, Skull Knight like killed the Schnoz, you yeah, know. Yeah, <laughs> like, oh, no, thought about that he before. escaped. He escaped. Yeah, yeah, he's running <laughs> loose in the woods. He, he, you know, he escaped he, directly into the trading card game. You know, yeah. much like Theresia, one day he'll come back and he'll have his revenge. <laughs> At the end, you know, once Guts has triumphed from Griffith. You know, well, he'd uh, be stabbed in the back by the schnoz. I think I think Schnoz would be a great companion for Theresia, actually, just like Puck is to Guts, because you know well, it's oh once <laughs> no, you see, it's not Guts because you guys are you guys are misinterpreting it. Once Theresia kills Guts, Schnoz, Skull Knight, that's that's who he's gonna get. <laughs> actually, oh. <laughs> I, I would say the Schnoz' real enemy are the elves. You know, they are the ones who tortured him, sort of. That's right. That's right. Made that's a roll true. in the ground. He actually, he actually defeated them. Like you know, they get on top of him, they fuck around. Oh, he, he uses <laughs> rolling attack to, which is which is which can be seen in every post ever made on Skull Knight. On that, yeah. Um, we'll flash forward a little bit. We have this great scene between Flora and SK mm-hmm. talking about the past, which 
not extremely revealing, but it gives us enough information to presume that these two traveled together, which we learn later on as well. And that we learn that Guts was in a similar circumstance that SK was in, uh, that they had to wear this armor to get through their journey. Um, this is one of the only times we see the armor in this state because it changes forms once Guts adopts it and activates the armor or and gives into the armor's odd, I should say. Well, at this point, we don't even get to see, like, they don't even have the reveal that it, like, looks like a skull really yet, do they? Right. Yeah. Well, you can see the back of it, and well, I was specifically referring to the neck brace type thing, part of the armor. Yeah. It looks very curvy, whereas it becomes like the lower jaw later on. Yep. Yeah. Which I thought was very interesting, um, kind of ownership of the armor. But the, the the discussion that Shirk, oh, not Shirk, Flora has with SK is particularly revealing about causality. She actually corrects Skull Knight, which is not something you see very often, saying how causality moves not in a circle but a spiral, so that there are there are chances for nuances in the pattern uh, through change, human choice and changes. Yeah, and I, I find it interesting that she says so because the Skull Knight seems kind of reluctant to give the armor to Guts. Oh, sure, yeah. Yeah, you know, it's actually one of the neat moments where they actually have a little back and forth that isn't just totally, like, like I don't want to say, like, pablum, but just isn't, like, it's not, like, just friends being friendly towards each other or expressing, you know, yeah. like, admiration. Like, they do afterward. Like, they're, you know, they're actually conversing. And like uh, Walter said, she, like, she disagrees with him and, you know, sort of corrects him. And he's even telling her before that, like, you know... You don't understand, you know, how bad that is, because as we find out later, he's got the first-hand experience. Yeah. And so it's a neat little, uh, neat little scene for the two of them. Yeah, and, and Flo even says that, you know, Gus, you know, and his friends won't necessarily repeat her and the Skull Knight mistakes. So, yeah, it provides some kind of background information on the two of them, like... Yeah, what happened to them? You know, we can, you know, deduce even at the time that bad things happened to them, tragic things, perhaps, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Going back to the very opening page of this episode, Flora is putting the seal on the armor, on the inside of the armor. Yeah. That Carving ultimately. It, okay, yeah. Uh, with the, like, engraving, wasn't it not? I mean, yeah. she's. Anyway, um, that comes into play later on when Guts uses the armor and. The, the edge of his ego or his soul is right on the cusp of that. And, and Shiark says that that's the only thing that's able to retain his ego is that yeah. mark. And I'm wondering, the way she talks about it in this part of the episode is uh, that turned into a big job in the end. I wonder if this is the first time she's done something like this, this particular seal. Did, did, did they not have this when Skull Knight wore it? Does that mean that when he used the armor, he was gone completely with the first use of the armor? I mean... I don't know. Well, yeah, it's a, um, you know, it's a, it's a difficult question, but it's very interesting to know that essentially without Flora, Gus would be gone, long gone by now. Exactly. Exactly. So every time he uses the armor and just you know manages to to come back, it's you know thanks to her. Right. And uh, yeah, but you know who knows because at first she didn't you know tell him she would give him an armor. She mentioned you know talisman to protect uh, you know him and Casca from uh, ghosts. So. Perhaps, you know, she decided or they decided to, to give him the armor later on. Mm -hmm. So, and that's why it turned out, it turned to be a bigger job. I mean, I don't know. I mean, admittedly, this scene does follow after he encountered a member, a member of the God Hand. Yeah. So maybe that's what kind of, you know, changed her mind. Yeah, exactly. And he specifically, Slan, you know, destroys his armor. 
So mm-hmm. that might be why the scope. Oh yeah, that's knows. right. I forgot about that. <clears throat> yeah. So he needs a new armor, and they have this one laying around very conveniently. Yeah. <laughs> so they decide to to give it to him. So yeah. And then we get a little taste of Skull Knight's personality. Very rarely, he senses the apostles, jumps off on the horse, and she says, "He'll." He, he says basically, "He'll fight for her so that she can pass." And yeah. Ease. It's actually interesting to me that both the Skull Knight and Flora can sense that apostles are coming. Yeah. You know. Yeah. It's something we talked about in the last episode, actually, about how the brand works, how. Skull Knight being an astral being probably has the same sense of sensitivities, you know, and we actually see it happening here. Yeah, uh, but you know, you know, yeah, they know. Well, yeah, yeah, they have ways of detecting. Yeah, it's also interesting to see Flora is, you know, lamenting the fact she's not as powerful as she used to be. Right. Yeah. That yeah. The time has sort of passed her by. Yeah. She she's going you know it's interesting because she she uh, she essentially tells the Skull Knight she's going to die either way like she she's on the brink of death. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't even matter whether they kill her or not because she's dying anyway. Yeah. But he, he, he goes for it anyway. You know, he's yeah. very noble in this scene. This is maybe one of his most like noble, like straight-up noble scenes where he's you know helping the damsel. I mean, just the imagery and everything when he jumps off the balcony onto his horse yeah. and he's looking back at her. I mean, it's really, you know, and she's up there looking sort of, you know, <laughs> like the fair maiden. And yeah. it's, it's a really cool scene. It's also... When you read it, it, I remember when we first read it, we weren't uh, sure of the translation. You know, we didn't know, like, cause Flora then has the moment where she's talking about Shirke. Right. Yeah. You, you know, she has this very sentimental moment, you know, where she's talking about how much she cares for her. We didn't know if that was about Skull Knight at first, and she was talking uh, yeah, yeah. to him. It's because the, the, if you look at the, the text itself, the text goes directly from talking about, I'll, I'll, I won't forget your devotion, old friend, to... I wish I could have seen your bashful face one more time. And so it's like they don't have that break in transition like you do if you're looking at it visually. So if you're looking at the yeah. text alone, it can be confusing. But in the comic itself, it's very obvious. Yeah, you get to yeah. see. Uh, yeah, because it, it, yeah, it, it, they have a cut with the apostles, and then yep. it immediately. I think it goes when she says that it cuts right to Shirke, and it's like yep. I forget if there's actually a moment where it actually like Shirke. It's like you know, sort of one of those things where you talk about another character and then they sneeze. It's not yeah, like that, yeah. but it's like she, it's sort of, she has. A, she, she yeah, she so. has like a little intu- intuition. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, she feels She's, something. She says so as well. Yep. What's also interesting about that scene is that, you know, Skull Knight obviously intends to protect her and, like, let her pass naturally. And, I mean, he can't do it. I mean, for, you know, either because probably Gazdod, you know, it's like that's enough to handle. And then there's the other apostles. He can't stop all of them. But it's interesting that, you know, it's you don't usually see Skull Knight, you know, not able to, you know, keep his word in that way that he wasn't able to. Well, he's I mean, he's trying to he knows she's going to die. He's buying her time, basically. Yeah, yeah. Essentially, I mean, but I mean, he, she 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 does burn to death like horribly. Well, yeah. we we never we are never shown her death, so she might she might have died naturally, even as the house was on fire. You know, it's, I right. don't know. It's hard to say. I I thought it showed her communicating though with Shirke, and it's like it looks like there's fire literally in the room with her. Like she's like actually like on fire, but still alive, and sort of like you know. To me, I thought it's a sort of a powerful moment. It sh- shows power on her part that you know, even though this is happening to her, it like it doesn't matter, you know, right. to her. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know. I mean, yeah. When you see her, it's within the context. They are all in the burning house. So, I yeah. don't know. 
it's hard to it's hard to tell in from the shot if it's like it's just showing the fire around her or if it's actually like you know consuming her yeah but it's it's almost i mean it reminds you of like you know like self-immolation or something like like a sacrifice almost like even though it's not it just it sort of you know gives you that feel about her yeah yeah, yeah and actually why it's a bit i'm not going to say she definitely did it but it's hard to say what happened exactly because afterwards she appears you know, when uh, Grunbeld is uh, chasing Guts and the others as they're fleeing, she appears as uh, herself. Yeah, as, as some fire. Kind of, yeah, as yeah. fire. And she prevents him from going. And he's actually frustrated and, you know, shocked <laughs> mm-hmm. that he himself, a fire dragon, is stopped by a flame. So, yeah, it, it's a. Uh, I always thought the context of her death is left, I would say, to the imagination somewhat. Yeah. Even, Same here. But, you know, that being said, what you said, what you mentioned is still true, which is. The Skull Knight, he prevented the Apostle from getting to her, but he didn't prevent her house from burning down. And, you know, it's not like he just killed them all and whatever. No, it wasn't like that. He wasn't able to hold them all, all of them off. So Yeah, yeah. it's like it, it did show like that there is a limit for even him. Yeah, I think. yeah, yeah. yeah uh, in that context, it's definitely true. And um, well, well, I guess we'll talk about it later, but I wanted to talk about Flora's death and what that means. Shiark mentions on several different occasions. Uh, we'll, we'll get to well, that. That's yeah. more of 20, volume 28. Than you know, I, was, 26. I was going to say before that, you know, there's also a shot uh, when Gus arrives at the mansion. He, of course, being himself, jumps at an apostle right away and, you know, attacks him, but because he's weak, uh, because of uh, the wounds, you know, Slan inflicted him. He's not able to kill him, and he's in a bad spot. And yeah. SK arrives and just saves his ass in a very badass manner. Like he, he just you know, slashes. He slices it. it like three times. Like it's yeah. really excessive. It's like he could have just cut, cut his head off. Yeah. But well, like he like cuts his arm and head off. What's interesting is the guy he's attacking has like a carapace armor. Yeah. Like he slices him in his weak points. He slices him in the, the like between the armor joints yeah. for his arms, and he also slices his face, obviously, but. Mm. Yeah, it's just interesting. Yeah, it's interesting. And, you know, after that, the apostles remember the skull knight from the eclipse. Yeah, which is like, good. Oh, you're that one. And then they say, oh, and you too, you know, regarding guts. Like, right. they remember the skull knight, then they remember guts. They're like, whoa, whoa, it's you guys. Yeah, <laughs> I never actually, I never foresaw this kind of interaction. I never thought we'd see the same apostles acknowledge it was guts i never i never hoped to see this kind of face off really yeah it's like they're not just random apostles too like you see uh borkoff again or however you say his name you know later but it's also interesting it's funny because it's like yeah they they're like celebrity like among the (laughs) he's like hey well you're that guy from the eclipse you know whoa and and i remember skull knight you know that's when he has that line where he tells you know they they're sort of like curious about him he's like well i don't have a name for you know the likes of you (laughs) like yeah, yeah, he trash talks him basically. Yeah, he basically tells him you're so below me. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, much like Gus, actually, it's funny in that regard, they are you know pretty similar. They both have just content for opposites. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, and, go ahead. What, I was gonna say Zod makes his introduction. Next. Yeah, I was going to say that you know while uh, Zod prevents, uh, I mean, keeps the Skull Knight busy. Why the lesser apostles can go hunt for Flora. Uh, you know, when Guts comes out of the house with the armor, Zod is, you know, surprised and he actually, he and the Skull Knight stops fighting. They stop fighting and he asks the Skull Knight what he intends to do by giving Guts the armor. So it's interesting because it shows Zod knows about the armor. Yeah. Right. Well, he also. That- 
before we get too deep into that, just as an aside, he also does one of my favorite Zod moves, which is like his pro- his prophetic paw that he puts up when he's going to say something very <laughs> deep to stop the act. You know, it's sort of like the ref calling timeout. Yeah. <laughs> like, and, and Skull Knight being the the gentleman he is and hears <laughs> so that they can have that moment. But yeah, yeah I always enjoyed that. Going a little further back, right before Skull Knight engages Zod, actually, he tries to get around Zod, and then Zod throws... He just killed. <laughs> yeah, he just killed an apostle and used him as a can, basically. But <laughs> and um, he has that line to him where he says, you know, like basically you're gonna go protect, like, you know, like I don't know, there's a couple of translations, uh like the Dark Horse one, and I think the one we've got on the site, but like translate to basically, you know, like caring about a woman during a fight. Yeah. Yeah. He says that's unlike you, and then uh, Skull Knight says, um, we have different reasons than usual this time. Yeah. And I wondered about that line myself during this recent reread was, is he saying that, or have they been in this kind of circumstance before? Was it where their roles reversed at some time? You know, I don't know. No, I think it just means they're not fighting just to fight. He actually has yeah. a reason to fight Zod that isn't just like, it sort of implies before they were kind of, they're kind of having fun, you know, testing each other. Well, I think in the, I think, you know, even if we just take the reference for the, you know, the occultation ceremony and even the incarnation ceremony, well, the Skull Knight is either trying to, you know, hit at the gold end or he's trying to pursue his own business and Zod is always there just to fight. And that actually was a Skull Knight tells him is a scene. Like, mm. you know, when Zod tells him, ah, oh, you're, you're chasing after a woman or you care, care about a woman, the Skull Knight tells him, ah, you know, battle, battle, is, yeah. battle is, you know, all there is for you, is everything for you. It's it's very personal, actually. Like, it's all, like, I always took it as, like, an insult, like, that, you know, like, sort of spitting that at him. Like, that's all you care about. And doesn't Zod say something like, where, you know, well, that's not true, you know? <laughs> well, he just says, he says, he, the only reason he's fighting him now is because basically he's on a mission and he's holding Skull Knight. Yeah. But yeah. He's, he's, it's almost like a defensive, like, stance, though. Uh, actually, I, I didn't take it like that. I think no. I think the Skull Knight meant it, you know, pretty generally because it's true. Zod yeah. only ever cared about fighting before. You know, that's what his, his whole life. You know, he was always about you know the ultimate strong one. Everything it was always about a fight. But yeah. since uh, Femto was incarnated, now he's serving. Yeah. He's serving yeah. him, and so it you know it shows it showcases even the fact he's not just working for himself anymore and that's what he tells him he's like now it's not like that i'm doing this because i'm the only one who can you know keep you busy while right. the others carry on with a mission and so that's what the skull knight tells him we we each okay. have uh, different reasons like the skull knight is not just trying to kill the gold hand or you know ca- you know gather bearits or kill apostles or whatever he usually does and zod instead of just wanting to fight because Fighting for him is everything, and specifically fighting the Skull Knight must have been a you know a big thrill for him before. But he's not interested in doing that, you know, this time. Yep. Yep. Yeah. We don't see him again until we uh, see a couple cameo appearances of them fighting. But ultimately, Guts arrives in the armor, and we've already discussed it. But uh, uh, Zod it's... tells tells Skull Knight that it brings back memories seeing Guts wearing that, and we've already been over this stuff in previous podcasts but it really makes you wonder how far back their relationship goes yeah and how, goes and how all much the way back to the beginning sort of and, i mean and whatever how much, the, and how much zod knows about skull knight's like existence like the kind of being that he is yeah does he not refer to him like as your majesty it's interesting how slan refers to him that way but obviously they don't see each other and talk to each other so she might be referring to 
So it's interesting that she knows that too, because of the way the the God Hand are incarnated. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like so. Definitely, that information has been you know passed on, unless we presume that she was you know er, very early on incarnated. Well, well, I mean, that, it could be a number of things. It could also be that the God Hand just inherit a vast amount of knowledge about the world yeah. as well. Yeah, and they I, intrinsically know it. I, I I think they also. I mean, not have shared knowledge, but you know, they must be. They must communicate with each other. So I, I think to some extent it's not it's not very surprising that she would know it. I think they all know of it. Yeah. Like Isos Knight has tried to take them down several times in the past. You know, let's imagine, you know, you know, Void was uh, earlier one and he, he has some knowledge of Skullknight. He's going to tell the others about it. It's uh, right. it's logic. Yeah. Well I guess what uh, I was gonna say about that originally was just that I think it shows like the difference with their relationship is that they say they see each other all the time. So even if Zod was, you know, knew about that stuff, it doesn't really matter to him anymore other than that direct reference to the armor. It's like he knows him just as the Skull Knight and accepts him as that, sort of what he is now. There isn't any reference to his past or, you know, that's not significant to him. Yeah, and we don't even know, I mean, we don't know much about the way Zod knows about the armor. So it, it could be it could also be any number of things. Mhm. So uh, I don't want to get too far into that. Uh, sure, and there's, there's yeah, no... there's just just ideas. Yeah, yeah. exactly. It doesn't nothing's conclusive about much of this scene. But one thing about Zod's reaction, I was wondering, do you think he's a little pissed? Maybe that Skull Knight's doing this to to, to guts. You know that that he's bringing him down this path. Actually, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Yeah. I, he looks, I don't think so. He, he okay. looks he looks concerned when he sees the armor. Right. The look on his face is out of exactly. concern. Like, oh no, what are you doing to the boy? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> he, because yeah, again, it's funny that Zod. I mean, even though he doesn't look like uh, he doesn't look like a kid, he speaks like an old man, mm. and he he is an old man. So yes. yeah, he's he's like yeah, it's, it's a. Uncharacteristic of him, I would say, and I don't think he's really pissed. But yeah, pissed not the right word. But as usual, yeah. he's concerned and probably curious as well. Right. Well, it's interesting how. Yeah, it's interesting because he's always curious what will happen to guts. Like at the eclipse, yeah. he had a different reaction. Though he laughed, you know, about the whole thing and was curious to see what would happen. Yeah. And may, and it shows maybe he likes guts a lot more now. Just yeah. from, you know, like, what he's been through and how he's seen him grow. He, like, really, like, it says, you know, they, they say it directly. He admires him, yeah. you I, know, very I, much. I, I think they've, they've always had this kind of rough relationship, like, between wires. And uh, I wouldn't say rivals, because Zod probably doesn't consider God's a rival and, you know, vice versa. But, yeah, I think Zod has some kind of affection for Gus. Like, he he thinks of him, you know, as some kind of what Asian people would say a junior. Like so, somebody who's in the same line of work, but uh, a bit inexperimented, and he enjoys to watch him grow and to fight with him, of course. And uh, yeah, I, I'm actually very curious, and I think it would be very interesting to see uh, the next fight between uh, Zod and Gus. Oh, definitely. But, yeah, yeah. Yeah, really. With the armor, it could be really very interesting, and. I'm not sure Zod should look forward to it because he, <laughs> I want to see the fear in his eyes. Yeah. <laughs> you know? He might not like it very much, but at the same time, it could also be a good opportunity to see the limit of Zod or rather mm-hmm. the uh, vastness of his strength. Because we we've seen him, you know, we've seen him get his arm cut off and that kind of stuff very early on. But at the same time, he's shown to be extremely resilient and. Uh, 
very powerful. Like he's like the most powerful of all apostles now that Ganeshka is dead. Yeah. So yeah, I, I'm curious to see the limits of his strength, the well, actual limits. Yeah, it's not just his power though. I mean, his guts is like differentiated between like Zod and like Wild. I don't, not directly, but I mean, he pointed out that Wild was, you know, Wild wasn't a good fighter. Like Wild didn't yeah. know anything. He was just he has pure reflexes because he's a superhuman. Whereas Zod is a superhuman who's also like a super fighter. Yeah, and we see that in this second fight with guts. Whereas the first time, you know, I feel like Zod sort of only, like to use a metaphor, like he only takes as much of his sword out of the sheath as he needs to win. Yeah. Like, you know, he's not going to put a big effort to kill a bunch of worthless mercenaries. But, like, that second, like, when the first time he fought Guts, he sort of underestimated him. Yeah, he gets surprised, actually. Yeah, and then the the second time he fights him, it's like you can see what he can really do. And I feel like it's the same for his apostle form, whereas he knows, like, when he turns into an apostle, Guts, even even Guts is the black swordsman. He wanted to see how he could match him, and he really couldn't still. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, but yeah, so it'll, like you say, it'll either show his, like, his limits, or it's going to show just how vastly powerful he is. Like, he won't be messing around with, uh, if he's fighting Guts in the, the Berserk armor. Yeah, and, and I think it's the same for the other lieutenants of uh, Griffiths, uh, you know, Grimbel, Locus, uh, Irvine, and uh, Rakshas, because they all five of them are clearly shown to be superior to, you know, the average apostle. And because they are either you know, skilled fighters, or in the case of Irvine, I would say you know, a skilled hunter, for Akshas and Athathin, so they're, they're all superior because they are not just you know, beasts with, with supernatural uh, power, strength, reflexes, uh, speed, whatever you, you want, but they are actual warriors, you know, they, they know how to fight, they are skilled. Yeah. Oh, and we, see, we do see Guts and Zod have you know the attempt of a rematch when they meet in Vertanis, but of course they have to choose to team up instead of fight. Yeah. And so I yeah. thought that was particularly interesting because, you know, under another circumstance they probably would have fought, but because they belayed that battle, it makes me think that they'd be they'll be relatively evenly matched the next time they fight. Well another thing you mentioned about that here on the here on the Zod cast, yeah. which is you know transformed into is that Zod <laughs> really goes out of his way to like let him go there. He even threatens like Griffith. And yeah. Zod tells him, like, if you talk, you know, if you're, if that's your intention, we're gonna have to. Well, it's obviously his intention. Right. And Zod, you know, lets him go anyway because he wants to let him go, and he doesn't even want to fight him then because he knows that, you know, yeah. guts can't fight. He doesn't want to kill him, you know. It adds, yeah. to, it adds to his character, you know. I, yeah. I mentioned before that every time we see him, he gets a little, you know, deeper. He he gets right. some depth every time, and it's again one of these times where he's shown to be his old man. Like he has orders and. The would say Griffith's benefit would be to kill guts, you know. Mm-hmm. Even though yeah. he himself, you know, pretends he doesn't care. He's and, ambivalent about it, or you know. Yeah, yeah, he, he doesn't really care. Okay, fine. But as an apostle, and he all the apostles just want to kill him just because he's branded, you know, like that's their instinct. Yeah. But yeah. Zod, yeah, yeah, he actually stops the apostle from yeah. like and gives him some bullshit about how that's not why we're here. But it's like you know, actually, it really would be a good <laughs> idea to kill this guy. Yeah. <laughs> so, so yeah, it shows clearly that he doesn't want to, and that's because he likes him. Yeah. yeah, and yeah, to tie it back around to that scene, uh, yeah, like the concern for him. I don't think he was angry, and I don't know if he's intrigued at all, or if, and again, like we talked about, if it's personal for him, if he was like maybe a, a proto guts, you know, in his time for even for Skull Knight, even, you know, like a failure, like if he's seeing, you yeah. know, sort of, you know, if he's if it's personal to him to see this happening. Yeah, you, you know, know he probably, I mean, not probably, but he, it's possible he might relate to guts. 
Yeah. Well, sure. Yeah, I think that's absolutely clear. Um, he does. About uh, that scene, too, I want to go back a little earlier to when we first actually see the face of the armor, because that's actually a big Skull Knight development that, like, in yeah. retrospect, goes on. we take it for granted. Oh, yeah. Let's talk about like, that. Let me grab my volume again. Go ahead. Yeah. Because, like, I mean, the first time we see the face, actually, it's not one of my favorite uh, shots. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, we can see the... Okay, I'm trying to find the exact page. And, uh, yeah, we can see the armor, and it's when... Uh, it's the when... Uh, when Flora, when it looks like it, again, it shows her and it looks like she's just consumed in fire and she says to get it to the Black Swordsman, you yeah. can't see that it's the skull. It just sort of looks like a very, like, it looks kind of animalistic, the face. Yeah. And then a couple of, pa- on the next, in the next, it's actually the next episode, uh, you can finally see what looks like a skull and it looks really cool. It looks, you know, it looks clearly then like, uh, sort of like, uh, it looks like a skull and it's obviously, it'll bring Skull Knight's armor to mind, but it looks, you know, obviously like jet black. It looks like evil Skull Knight armor. <laughs> Right. Is what it looks like, and uh, hey, it's, it and, was it was a big a big moment actually. Yeah, it was a big reveal when we see that it's a skull, and you realize that it's him. And also, the other thing neat about the armor in these shots, I think at the end of this episode, yeah, you see it again, and it's clearly it's even this is the most clearly a skull at the end of the episode. But it's yeah. also the armor has a lot of personality, like the way it's drawn, the way it's like sitting. It looks like it's waiting. Yeah, like it looks like it's impatiently waiting there, which is I I always thought was neat about it. Well, it also ties to, I mean, that's going a bit far, but it, it ties to what the Skull Knight said about the Armor's Odd, which mm-hmm. is like an everlasting fire. Like, even even if you let it dormant, it's always waiting for the opportunity to rise again. Yeah, well, I, yeah, I wasn't, you know, going too far with it, where, like, the Armor's actually literally waiting. Just the posture that, you know, uh, yeah, Mira, like, had it in. It's like, it's very cool. Yeah, I always loved the design for it. And actually, before this podcast, I went through and read the original threads uh, associated with these episodes oh, yeah. just, to, just to see the how people were reacting. It's actually it's very, edu- shit. It's yeah. very educational because people, some idiots were really yeah. torn about the look of the armor. Like, oh, you know, it looks stupid. <laughs> I, I, I remember it very well. And I remember yeah. that it was a, a shitstorm. And it, you know, just reflective of the state of the board at that time. Yeah. Was full of idiots and morons. Specifically, I remember Simon, or you know, former member, mm-hmm. who was saying, "Oh, you know, Isidro and Casca, Farnese, we all get armors. You know, pink one, like the Power Rangers. It was like that." You know? <laughs> I remember thinking, "My God, what a moron!" And just the next the episode, just after that, the armor changes. You know, its shape and it takes on the form of the Beast of Darkness. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, it's a moment. It shows so well in you know, a microcosm that. Episode by episode, as people go by, they just have, you know, a lot of people have very stupid comments because they don't take the time to think about bigger events. Yeah, they're being reactionary and they're assuming they're assuming bigger events that are like, obviously, it's like, you know, you're not as good a writer as uh, Mira. So you're you're, what you're thinking of is a lot dumber than what he's thinking of is sort of what people, you know, need to realize where it's like, you know, he's got probably a much, you know, neater plan in mind. And at the time, at the time of volume 26, a lot of people were like, they didn't like volume 24, no right. 25. No. Yeah, they didn't like the elemental weapons, and yeah. this was like a continuation so, of just that. So they were like, oh, fuck, you know, this is over, this is done. Berserk really going down the, you know, the shitter. But actually, nowadays, it's, you know, one of people's favorite volumes. Oh, so absolutely, it's, yeah. it's really telling that people just don't know what the fuck they are doing. Yep. <laughs> There was actually about a three or four page argument about what color the armor was in that. Thread. Oh my god! <laughs> you know, I remember having a big debate with Smith yeah. 
at the time. Uh, you about that. There was that woman yeah. also, uh, Typhon Blue? Yeah. Yeah. She, she thought it was, uh, I don't know, but she didn't think it was black. No, there was, there was like all this discussion of hash marks, you know, and like, yeah, you know, yeah, like yeah. patchwork and oh. like, oh, well, if it was really black, well, it's not like it's going to be like Venom where it's like black with like, you know, just like <laughs> blue on it, right? Yeah, it's like, that's not how he, that's not his style. So, yeah. But the, anyway. the, the whole point of me saying all that was I wanted to you guys talk about you guys, talk with you guys about why, okay, let's talk about how the armor functions. What's the default shape of the armor? Well, we can't know and we, we will never know. Okay, well, the skull that we see, is that akin to when Guts is transformed? Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, of course. Good. Okay. Definitely. So then, you know, go ahead. Sorry. Well, I was going to say, like, just to answer your question before you know, even finish, I'm sorry, but, uh, like, to me, the armor, I like, my theory on it is that it works similar to, like, and this gets into, like, apostle theory and, like, you know, skull and the whole ceremony in the God Hand. But I feel like it works almost like uh, like an artificial transformation. This is like if Guts turned into an apostle, he would become like the beast. Yeah. And that this Probably. is sort of the same thing. Like if, if Griffith put on the armor, if Griffith, when he was a human, put the armor on, he would turn into Femto. Like, or like a, what would look like Femto. It would, wow. He would have the, the hawk helmet. Yeah, he so, wouldn't be evil like Femto. He wouldn't have that personality. It would have the armors, you know, obviously, the, the personality it adds to the wear. I, I well, think... Go ahead, Azil. Yeah, I was going to say, without going that far, you know, it very simply attunes oneself to their, let's say, their dark side. Their, I wouldn't even say the dark side, but their combative side. So, yeah, yeah if, if Griffith wore the armor when he was human, it would definitely take the shape of, uh, of his, you know, falcon helmet. And for Guts, it's very natural that it would take the shape of the, of the beast. And uh, similarly, I think, you know, the skull must represent something, you know, very important for the skull knight. I mean, it's, it's in his name and everything about him is about the skull. Even when he was still geyseric, you know, he had a skull mask. So yeah. it's basically, it's attuned to people's combative sides. And that's what he tries to, to bring out. And basically, to that's how it overtakes the user, like by keeping them fighting, fighting in a rage until they just lose themselves and they just become a fighting machine. Until that's actually exactly what I was going to get to is, is if, if the form of the beast uh, helmet represents something about Guts' personality, and if we can presume if Griffith wore it, that the Hulk itself informs us about Griffith's personality, what does the skull inform us about Skull Knight's personality? You know, it's kind of like deductive reasoning about what it might mean for him. But I wonder, we talked about in the past about the Skull Knight being cold. And we know how Guts fights is whenever he's in, uh, whenever the, the armor is odd. But how do you think the Skull Knight fought? Was it the same crazy, no. wild? Yeah, I think it was mannerisms? cold. Like, I think it was I like agree. the Terminator. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, like, it was like an emotionless. Yeah, yeah. I, I thing. well, the, the thing is, is he almost odd? Is uh, I I don't know. Actually, I don't know about that because it's, okay. you know it burns up. You know, in terms of imagery and everything, it just overtakes the user. So it has to be some kind of, you know, savage. It has to be savage to me. So I don't know if it could really be just, you know, completely cold. But mm. uh, because it has to, how to say, overwhelm the user's consciousness. But right. yeah, I, I think I don't think his, you know, fighting style would be jumping around and that kind of stuff. No, never. I think it would be very precise, like, you know, akin to what he's doing nowadays, which is just, you know, slashing precisely, moving fast, slashing again. Yeah. Just a flurry of slashes. Uh, so, yeah, but uh, it still has to 
be overwhelming. So mm. you have to be overwhelmed by the, a sensation. I don't know if it could be overwhelmed by a cold sensation as opposed to the fire that uh, guts in fields. But mm -hmm. something which would uh, blur his mind, you know, alter his consciousness and his perception of reality. Well, I, yeah, I imagine it being, uh, I, I can imagine it being sort of coldly, like just going, like it would change the way, like the same way that you don't see like friend from enemy when you have the armor on and for guts, that's obviously very dangerous and she's so, you know, has that savagery, like yeah. a beast. Yeah. Whereas for Skull Knight, I feel like it would just mean, he'd just be like a killing machine. And I also, I feel like that's what the skull means to him because as a conqueror, I feel like they they strongly imply that that's sort of what he was all about. Yeah, and that there's like that whole conversation he has with Zod too, kind of plays into it, where they talk about how they're not well, we're not just about fighting right now. I feel like before he he may not have been like Zod about like all about fighting itself for like technique's sake, but about conquering and about killing, you know, and about dominating. Well, and yeah, and I would also say that much like Gus, his quest against the God End is one of revenge. You know, yeah. he's, he's just, he's never giving up. He keeps trying, he keeps trying, he never gives up. It's very much like Guts, but pushed to the extreme. So, yeah, yeah. In, that, in that regard, he's very or, he's very tenacious. And, yeah, we already talked about that, you know, the other time, but it, it does fit into the whole Conqueror, uh, you know, kind of way of thinking, which is he just never gives up and he won't be satisfied until he has triumphed. And yeah, actually, it's sort of, well, oh, sorry. is one thing we didn't touch on in 24 when we, we kind of had an awkward end point. But Flora actually, in discussing Skull Knight's motives and helping Guts, there's a line she says that we missed. And she says, basically, why are you helping him? Is it sympathy for a fellow struggler? And that really informs us of Skull Knight's motives yeah. and how he probably mm -hmm. went through similar things than Guts did in, in terms of a revenge. Of course, even so. Yeah. Even though, in a way, it was already, I mean, we could, we could guess that oh, yeah, sure. they're related. I mean, yeah. Yeah. Or just, they yeah, because I mean, they, they share the it. same struggle at this point. Yeah. yeah. They're both fighting against the God Hand and Apostles yeah. and uh, everything. And I actually, to, go ahead, go ahead, Griff. Well, I was going to go back to uh, the, the mask. Yeah, I'm still talking about the armor. I still have two more things to say about the armor. So go ahead. Okay. Okay. Be well, sure. I was going to say is like just to wrap up what sort of the meaning of the skull. And everything is, I feel like, sort of going along with being a conqueror and all that, like, it literally, and, you know, Luca, you know, hit it on the head, sort of death. I mean, he's very much like, you know, death. Like, you know, he's yeah. just killed so many things. Yeah, I mean, he just, you know, that's what he means, you know, and that's what he sort of meant to the world in many ways, whether it's apostles or, you know, conquering people and killing them. There's also sort of a tie to, I feel like Ganeshka gave his perspective on being like that kind of emperor and having to continue to go and dominate. And the shot, the one shot we get of sort of the close up of uh, Gazarik, of uh, his helmet and his eyes, like there's, you see, there's sort of like a insanity in them. I feel like, like a mania, like a stare. Oh you right, know, like like he would like, look. like he already looks sort of like possessed. Um, and I'm not sure I would say I would say that, but yeah, sure. Well, so okay, yeah. I would compare it to like the way Griffith looks at people. You know, whenever he's super serious, you know, his hawk stare. You know. Yeah. It's not dissimilar, really. It's wide, wide, wide open look, but you know, there's not much we can gain from that one little panel. Yeah, I don't know if I, I didn't really interpret anything from uh, the look in his eyes. Okay. But uh, yeah, I guess uh, yeah, maybe like Griffiths. Yeah, that kind of you know, yeah, like you say, wide eyed look, intense look, yeah. and more to say about the armor. I wanted to hear what you guys thought about this. Was Talk about the, the nature of the armor, why the armor is the way it is. Like, it's kind of, they, they call it cursed, 
but it was made by dwarves. So these functions in the armor are built in for a reason. Yeah. And I wonder, I wonder what that says about the state of the world at the time that the armor was created. And I wonder why a, a dwarves would want to make an armor like this to torture humans or to taunt humans. <laughs> I, I wonder if that... Go ahead, Azil. No, I'm going to say, I, I don't think it, they made it to torture humans or anything. It's just a tool which is very dangerous, but at the same time very powerful. And what's beautiful in it, it's, it's not like there's a gimmick. It's not like the curse is a gimmick. Mura mm-hmm. thought it out very well. It's the way it works. Like the power it gives the user, it's, a, it, it's the same thing that the curse. You understand? Like, you know, because it makes you go on endlessly, it removes the fear, the pain. That's also what, what makes you, you know, the user unable to differentiate frame from four. So it's just a powerful, it's just a powerful armor which has a, you know, very mm. dangerous side. Yeah, so, consequences. So I, I would say just an interesting item and. Uh, I wouldn't say it was made specifically to torture humans or anything. I, I don't think so. Mm, okay. I, I just think because basically you wear it and you're immediately in peril in battle that I, I wonder if, if it was more than just a, a boon. It's not really a boon to wear it. Well, like you, Basically, you're useful for one battle and then you're pretty well, much toast. You know? Well, no, it's like a, it's the trade-off for all that power. I mean, it's <laughs> sure, also, I that's the it. other part of it. And, and you're not in peril just because you wear it. I mean, you are the armor. It turns you into a fighting machine, or at least and then what? as soon as you as you get pissed. Because in the case of guts, it's a bit specific. You know, Slan's wounds we are shown the the there's a what you know turns him turn him into. I mean, triggers the armors odd and which make him lose his mind. But mm-hmm. after that, we can see him wear it, and he's not he's not just you know. It's when you get pissed, when you, your fighting spirit rises, that's when the armor overtakes you. So, uh, if you don't get wounded, well, I guess after a while, when there's nothing left to kill, you just eventually the armor deactivate and you return to normal. But the you know downside is if there's still friends around, well, you probably attack them and kill them. What's interesting to me is like what you said. That I was thinking the same thing. Like if Guts put the armor on, like just in a regular like human battle. Like, and no one, I mean, again, you're fighting with disregard for your health. So, you know, you probably would get hurt. But if he was, if he had no competition, he would never be pierced because he would never get hurt. If he was just able to just, you know, dominate and kill everything in his path. You know, if he was just fighting like a group of eighth graders or something, it was just mowing them down. The armor wouldn't have, you know, the only downside would be obviously that he, you know, wouldn't be able to tell friend from foe and he'd kill innocent people. But it wouldn't have a physical like necessarily toll on him. Yeah, except, it's just that he fights apostles. Except the side effects, which are losing his senses. But uh, yeah. yeah, other than that, if he was just fighting humans, he would be invincible, pretty much. He would just tear through them like, like he was a supernatural being. You know, even well, though he, he didn't. I think it still tells us a little bit about this, the state of the world when they made this armor. Because and under what circumstances would elves create an armor like this for humans and like? It also speaks to human elf relations at the time. Yeah, well, specifically for humans. The world was very different back then, and uh-huh. I think we might get a glimpse of what it was now that uh, Fantasia is, you know, has uh, appeared or yeah. reason again. I, I don't know if you could say it disappeared and now it's back, but in any case, we we might be able to see how it's going to be like in that way. And, you know, yeah. as a, uh, you know, if you look at Fantasia, there's hydras, there's goblins. Harpies, yeah. dragons. So humans may need, even though there's a strong price to pay for it, humans may have had the need for an item like the Berserk armor. 
It's mm-hmm. not unsup- Yeah, I, I don't know. I I can see who it would fit. Okay. Yeah, it's definitely strongly implied that that's how like that the world was different before. Like, I mean, they just used to, like with elves and things, you know, like and where they talk about areas that were very strong with the old spirits that yeah. have died off. Much like there were magic users and yeah, people prayed to yeah. spirits. So it was a very different world and it might go back. It will probably go back to that unless uh, God hand has their way and, you know, just change things. Right. Well, um, I guess we're moving on to 27. There's actually very, very little to say in 27 uh, regarding Skull Knight. There's really just the one panel, which is the, you know, it's actually a pretty significant panel, but it's really all there is in 27 that I can recall, unless you guys have more to say. Well, say what panel there is. Well, it's just significant because isn't it uh, God's senses or that's implied mm-hmm. that he senses him? Yeah, God senses him in the cabin when they're by the sea. Actually, it's... Well, uh, no, 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 no. I'm, re- I'm referring to when... Yeah, I know you were referring to something earlier, so go ahead. I was referring to when Shirk was talking about the, the former wearer of the armor. Uh, ah. That's, that's in... That's... Uh, okay, d'accord. Uh, that's sorry. Tw- it's go in ahead. 27 in the very beginning. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. And she says the former ar- ar- wearer of the armor was devoured by its steel teeth and con- continued fighting until he basically bled out and died. Yeah. Uh, and, and in this panel, we had some debate about this last time. I'm just going to put my foot down. That's Geyseric. So bring it on. I mean, it's the well, former wearer of the armor. He has, he has, it, it, very, it looks very similar to Skull Knight's sword. It's easy to bring it on. You don't know that for sure. You're, you can't be 100% sure it's him. I agree that it's very likely to be Geyseric because of the sword, the shape of the sword. But at the same time, it could be anything. And, I wouldn't say it's 100% sure. I, I, I guess I just don't see the point in, in refuting it because it fits in precisely with what Skull Knight says in the next volume, well, which is, I'm, that I'm, is an armor that I wore. Yeah, of course. I'm not refuting it, but I'm saying we can't be 100% sure at this time. You asked me to bring it on, so I'm just telling you, you can't be 100% sure. It's a, yeah, I know it's a cheap way out, but yeah. <laughs> okay. It's He's a getting into the, the, the possible, like, the, you said the word, it's possible it's not him. Yeah, <laughs> but, uh, yeah. But anyway, what I want to say about that is, uh, uh, presuming uh, for the sake of argument it is Gazerick, uh, when do you guys, th- do you think he might not have got, like, do you think he might have had the armor while he was still active as a conqueror, perhaps? Like, I was, th- I was just trying to think of, like, you know, like, I think it's easy to, like, sort of in our head at make it a parallel to Guts where sort of his regular life sort of fell apart and then, you know, it's his, af- you know, his life afterwards of revenge. But do you think, like, part of his downfall could have been, you know, attributed to the armor before he even, like, was on Revenge or became Skull Knight? Like, that he might have had it before somehow? Oh, I've got well, no idea. It's, uh, it's possible, but hard to say. One thing, though, is... He very obviously met the God Hand, and uh, he has had a grudge with them for the yeah. long time. And I think his downfall is related to them. I don't think it's just related to the armor. And so, well, not only the armor, but that it might have been, you know, a yeah. part of his life, like yeah. we beforehand. You know, yeah, I think he might have escaped his fate, whatever his fate might have been. Uh, but you know, died in the process, or was, you know, at least you know half dead in the process, using the Berserk's armor. And yeah. then he moved on to his current armor in a way we have yet to discover. Well, think think about it this way. Guts requires the armor for a couple of reasons, primarily because he's fighting against stronger and stronger enemies. Well, the Skull Knight may have heard about this kind of armor, an armor that can unleash you know, superhuman powers. Well, one, one of the things, though, is that 
CMO is very useful for him to travel very simply because uh, due to Slan's wounds, he can't just, you know, when he when he was just when he had just been wounded, he couldn't just go around like that. So CMO it allows him to dull the pain and to keep going. So right from that. I- I just meant primarily. He's it also upgrades. You know, I mean, I'm, obviously there's other things as well. Yeah. So um, my point is, the main reason was that he couldn't even go on without that. But after that, yeah, of course, it's required because the enemies he fights are extremely strong, and they're too strong for him to keep fighting as a black swordsman anymore. Right, and that's that's what I meant by a skull knight. Was I wonder if, as Geyseric, he heard about this armor and sought it out. Because it would allow him to use powers that were beyond yeah. or maybe, normal humans. Maybe it was actually a gift brought to him by yeah. dwarves. From void. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I can, let's tie it all together. <laughs> there's a lot of things. Uh, yeah, there's a lot of possibilities. I guess I can, I, can, I can foresee, although obviously we can't know for sure. I can foresee a situation when he was fighting against the God Hand or trying to fight against the God Hand or Apostles and dying in the process. And then becoming who we know him as. That's just... Obviously, it could be it could go a number of different ways, though. So uh, about his current armor, you said out when you got the new armor. Now, do you think that the new that what his armor now is actually something that he, you know, acquired that was at some point separate from? Because I sort of look at it like when he died in that armor and he became like we've discussed him maybe being a spirit that didn't know he was supposed to move on or various other treatments he could have undergone, you know, from the elves. Like, do you, I feel like that's sort of like his armor is sort of like. And we've also discussed how the armor is like it's empty, like it's sort of who he is. Like he is the armor, and I feel like he almost from from wearing that armor to like dying in it, like he sort of became this like suit of armor. Well, like it's not really something that he wears. I I don't know because I think if it was a case, if it were the case, uh, he would still be wearing the Berserk's armor, hmm. which is why well, I, I don't think it's a case, but. Uh, it's not impossible. I mean, who knows? Maybe, maybe, yeah. Because uh, I, I, yeah, I, I look at it like he does, He just doesn't, he didn't need to wear it anymore. So it would be like a kind of reflection, astral reflection or, of the uh, Berserk Samoa. Yeah, I don't well, know. Yeah, it's like what the Berserk armor sort of turned him into, I guess is what I'm saying. It's like, that's why he wouldn't wear it anymore because he actually, like, this is sort of the final evolution. He, like, became, like, his spirit was ch- permanently altered to be, like, a, a skull armor. Well, yeah, I, I don't think. I think if Guts just kept fighting in the Berserk Samoa and died, he would just die and he wouldn't turn into a spirit. I think the process was more complicated than that, to be honest. But uh, yeah. uh, I don't know. Uh, extremely speculative here, but well, actually it ties in directly with what we're about to talk about. How Skull Knight knows that the uh, Elf King can transfer or can, can restore someone's mind. I wonder if he's encountered that kind of power before because he, he calls it out specifically. And I wonder if. When Skull Knight died in the armor, you know, guys that oh. died in the armor, maybe he had to require the Elf King's power to transfer his ego or his soul into that armor, the current. Oh, armor. I think it's a uh, it's possible. Like yeah. Flora brought him to brought him there, mm-hmm. and they saved him. Yeah, I think it's a it's a possibility, yeah. and uh, I definitely think he's encountered the you know Elf King before. Right. Oh yeah, no doubt about that. And actually, that's perfect. I'm, I'm throwing 27 down, going but, straight to 28. Uh, 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 no, actually, I okay, wanted to talk ahead. about uh, because he appears once more in the in 27 at the end, very end of the volume. Yep. Guts is in the cabin on the beach. You know, it's it's actually a very short time. There's just five episodes uh, where we go to Ganishka, but in terms of Guts' timeline, 
the Skull Knight appears, you know, many times in a row because his appearance at the end of 27 ties, of course, between the meeting with Guts in 28. So, you know, between, you know, 26 and uh, 28, he actually, him and Guts meet a lot of times. Oh, yeah. And each time it's very significant, very important part for the story. So, yeah, when Guts uh, are in the cabin, Guts can feel him in his brand. Mm-hmm. And then we see him standing ominously on a, you know, on some rocks overlooking the sea, which is, you know, pretty awesome. In the moonlight, he loves to get in picturesque poses. Yeah. yeah. Those things, you know. He's like, he can, not only can he sense a god hand's presence and appear, he can sense the end of an episode's appearance and he'll <laughs> yeah. really, really, really well for it. Yeah, yeah um, I, I really, this is, I love this, that this, interaction between Guts and Skull Knight, particularly because Shi'ark in it really provides an extra dynamic between how all the characters interact. Um, Skull Knight shows up after Guts and Shi'ark are having a little cute scene together, and yeah. the first thing Guts says to Skull Knight is, oh, you're still surviving, huh? Yeah. <laughs> oh, you didn't get killed back there. I didn't know. <laughs> you, yeah, he basically implies, like, yeah, I didn't know if you were dead or what, you know, <laughs> like, if you made it, like, he's just some guy. <laughs> and it's, it's not significant at all. But I wanted to note that Guts puts his hand on his sword real quick. Oh, he's just he's putting it back on his. That's what yeah. he's doing. Yeah. It's yeah. on the ground and he, he readjusted it back to his back. Uh, that's right. Because yeah. he knows if you see, he can he knows who, who it is. Sure. Right, 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 right. He, he feels it's not an enemy. Yeah. Well, it's actually an interesting moment because it's like a moment where what's interesting is that, you know, as close as it's implied that, you know, Shirke and Skull Knight are Shirke or not, I mean Flora and Skull Knight. Shirke doesn't know him like right off the bat. Like yeah. you know, she doesn't. She obviously didn't know him. Like he didn't come around and like you know, yeah, play with and her it, or anything when she was a baby. <laughs> 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 Get on my back. <laughs> yeah, we <laughs> big Scully back ride. <laughs> but uh, so it's interesting that he sort of either maybe he didn't visit Flora as often as we thought, or if he did, it was in secret. Yeah, I, actually, I think uh, it's just speculation, but I don't think he visited her very often. Like they yeah. were friends, the good old times, and all that stuff. But I don't think he actually can buy very often. Yeah, but I, obviously we don't know. But he, Skull Knight warns guts about the conditions of the armor. Yeah. But more significantly, um, Shiark hits a nail on the head talking about her relation, their, her his relationship to Flora, and he says that they were once in the distant past when we lived within the reason of time. And then Shiark wonders about that term, the reason of time. And I wanted to talk about that phrase in and of itself. Uh, I mean, well, it's, we, go ahead, Azil. I think it's pretty simple, actually. Okay, go it's for a, it. It's a context. Uh, it's just a, a way to say that they were still human and basically still living within reasonable human lifetime. Like the right. yeah. and Flora are thousand years old. That's not, that's not within the reason of time. Reason, in this case, is like principle. Mm-hmm. You know? So they have gone beyond what is considered normal for a human to live. And so it means basically it was during his normal lifetime. Right. Yeah. It's like his human lifespan. Yeah. Right. Basically, yeah, that's what ties it to them. Like, you know, Shirke and Guts, you know, are both obviously, you know, young. Yeah. You know, and when they're friends, it's just implying that, yeah, they were friends when they were, even when they were young, when they were still, before they sort of transcended being, you know, normal humans. Yeah. Right. Uh, I mean, it kind of dates Flora at that point, you know. If it, within a human lifetime, we know Skull Knight's been around for a thousand years, it implies Skull, uh, Flora is also a thousand years old. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I think it's interesting what he says about the odd. We already talked about it. I mean, I already talked about how it's like an 
inextinguishable flame. Uh, yeah. And that even though there's a ward on it, it remains extremely dangerous because it will always be trying to angle the user. And Shiroki and Guts are very, uh, they, they are very confident they can take it, even though it's you know shown later on that it's not really the case. But at yeah. the time, they appear very confident. I think right. uh, Guts even, uh, doesn't he refer directly, like, damn it, he was right, you know? Yeah. After he, like, because he loses it, like, a couple episodes later. <laughs> it's yeah. like, yeah, exactly. you know, oh, you're wrong, old man, you know? <laughs> like, it's not going to happen to us. Yeah. <laughs> but another thing about that scene, the dynamic that Shirke adds to it, you know, more than Puck ever did, because he didn't really, like, get involved in the conversation, was just sort of, like, first of all, the way she, like, sort of realizes how special Skull Knight is. Like, I think she knows that he's sort of this, you know, it's, I think it's interesting that, you know, it's obviously she finds it interesting that Guts knows him and, you know, who is this person, but and yeah. also his significance to, uh, to Flora, you know, she's very perceptive, but you know how Guts is embarrassed because of, you know, the gratitude she shows and it's sort of, it sort of for Guts, I think, uh, makes him realize like the significant, more the significance of the relationship. He's very casual sort of with Skull Knight. And it, uh, I think it just brings to light, you know, sort of how much he owes him. And like, I don't know, I'm having trouble putting it into words. So like, go ahead and uh, well, pick up. Yeah, he, he's, I think it's a, it's a bit the same, the way he's with Zod or the way Zod and Skullite are with each other. Is that they have a bit of a rough relationship, you know, because he's a warrior. He's not polite to anybody. So that's just, he's just the same way with the Skullite that he's with everybody, which is, he's rough and rude, even rude. So his gratitude is not expressed very, you know, he's a bit reluctant when he thanks him or such a stuff. Yeah, he doesn't, he, I, mean, I think he says he doesn't like, you know, he says, I owe you again, you know, but he, he doesn't like it. Yeah. And uh, yeah, go ahead. I also, I also wanted to touch on the fact that what Shiark says about Flora's relationship to Skull Knight was that she looked upon it longingly. And I always wondered about the relationship. Were they just friends or was it very similar to, the relationship that Shirk has with Guts. I mean, I wonder what her feelings were for Skull Knight really were. Well, my take is that uh, they weren't just friends, but that's yeah. just because I, I'm a romantic at heart. <laughs> <laughs> I yeah, like well. yeah, and I think it's also, I mean, she's probably looking at it with also like bittersweet with some regret too. Uh, I mean, obviously, because we, you know, we have a good, pretty good idea of what happened. Well, she also refers to the mistakes that they made. Yeah. So Applies a, a, a tragedy there, but yeah, but I think specifically when she was looking at it longingly, you know, I mean, it's uh, referring to like she was r reminiscing about him, yeah, ah, yeah. uh, my old friend or my old lover or who knows, right? Yeah, I mean that that makes sense because I mean obviously if it was all bad, she wouldn't be looking at it like like that. It would just be big bad memories back, right? Anyway, uh, I find it interesting that uh, the Skull Knight is the one. Which uh, who wants guts about the side effects of the armor? Like he warns him about what will happen. It's hard to control, but also that he's going to lose his senses. And so, you know, f when he got the armor, it was done a bit, you know, hastily. But uh, the Skull Knight is the one who has to break the bad news to him. Basically, like this armor is bad news. It's very dangerous. So we gave it to you a bit carelessly, but actually you have to be really careful about it. Right. Right. The, the one big question I wanted to pose to you guys about this volume and this scene in particular was the, the, the scene ends with Skull Knight telling Guts that with the Elf King's power, it might be possible well, for 
Yeah, I was going to say, actually, there's one thing before that that I think is pretty significant is when the Skull Knight explains that Griffiths can't be harmed by normal people. And he says that Flora must have been more of a threat to him than an army of 10,000. So, yeah, I think it's a, it's an important thing because at the time, we already knew that Griffiths had, you know, powers, that he wasn't just a normal human, even though some people were desperate to believe it. But uh, it puts it into war. Like, yeah, Griffiths, it, he cannot be armed by normal people. Like, even if, you know, an, a guy came at him with a sword and hit him on the head, it wouldn't do anything. One way or another, it wouldn't work. So it makes it clear that Griffiths and the Gold Hand in general, they, they can't be attained, they can't be touched, can't be taken down by normal means. And uh, yeah, I, I think it's a, a pretty significant thing, actually. Yeah, it's pretty significant foreshadowing for, you know, just sort of the power that Shirke has. And, yeah. You know, her and, importance. And the, even the Dragon Slayer. But beyond that, it makes it clear that Gus, he's going to have to, you know, go through a lot of things before he can take him down. And actually, it's also what the Skull Knight tells him is that on the way to Ritanis, he's going to meet many apostles, which will be led by the Falcon. Right. But uh, beyond that, he also mentions, you know, on this path to Elfhelm, you'll meet the King of Elves, and with his power, it might be possible to restore uh, the branded girl's mind. Yeah. And I wonder why he chooses to tell Gus this. Why does he even bother? He knows they're going to Elfhelm anyway. So why does he go out of his way to explain this? this? I, I think, it's, uh, you know, he's often, he's told Gus before that he would have to choose between revenge and save in protecting Casca. Mm-hmm. And I think it's, it's the same way. Like, he's giving him hope. He knows the armor is very dangerous. So he's giving all the hope he can give him, which, mm-hmm. you know, when, when he tells Gus about uh, the Falcon, just that mention alone, just hearing, you know, about Griffiths is enough to trigger the armor. You see the helmet rise, you know, on yeah. his face, like a shark going to, you know, eat a guy on, on you know, a surfer. So it's, it's, a, it's pretty ominous. Yeah. And uh, Guts even has to, you know, to, to check himself to prevent it from taking over. So I, I think it's, it's, an, it's in a way, he tells him just after that, you know, he has to choose between protect and challenging. And then he tells him there's still hope. She might right. come back. And I think it's very important. And it played a big role to me in keeping Guts going because he, otherwise he might have just given up. Yeah, because he was getting like, I mean, he, it's like we think about it now, things have gotten so much worse. But I mean, just then he was in such a bad place. Yeah. And with no hope. And so, I mean, right. there it's really it's really sort of an act of not altruistic. He's not, you know, putting himself out there at all. But I mean, it is like a very like, you know, at this point, this is the closest I think it would be to him being like just like his, his friend, like yeah. relaying information to him as a friend. Yeah, like, that this right. would be possible. And he, he also warns him. Because, yeah. you know, that shows he's a nice guy. He tells him, and he also warns him that even though she can be brought back, she might not want what he wants. Of course, that's a very, you know, <laughs> vague, yeah. vague sentence. It's <laughs> open to interpretation, things. obviously. So, well, I mean, I mean but it, taken at face value, what he's really saying is once she's restored, you can't predict how she's going to react to the circumstances among yeah. all the things that have happened, predict, particularly because of the kid and the delivery of the line in conjunction with what's happening on the screen and the, the page, I thought was significant as well. Cause it's specifically focusing on Casca finding the kid yeah, on the beach, yeah, you know? Exactly. Yeah. So that's well, what I, I think also think, uh, 
part of it might also be the trauma of restoring her. Not as much as that, what you just said. I'm not refuting that at all. I'm just saying that also, like, there's a reason she's like this, and it could be traumatic to bring her back. And she might be a little bit resentful of that, too. Mm. Yeah, of course, yeah. There's also, you know, among the interpretations, there's a fact she might not want to actually come back. So right. that's one of the possible interpretations. Yeah. And we don't actually see Skull Knight again for quite a while, actually, until volume 34 when he makes a surprise appearance. He sure yeah. makes an entrance. Yeah. <laughs> it's a great episode. It's a great volume. But capping it off, Skull Knight uses the Behirit sword to cut into space directly behind Femto, just as Femto is about to or is making contact with Ganeshka. Now, what I wanted to ask you about these, this, this scenario is, you know, Femto is reaching his hand out to touch Ganeshka. He later reveals that he knew the Skull Knight would approach. What well, was his What was his plan B exactly? Actually, here? yeah, there are several things to say. Okay. One thing is, you know, Femto, he knew, you know, as, you know, during these events, everything is possible. So it's not like Femto knew for sure he would appear, but I think it's more like he guessed. You know, yeah. he, 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 it was a bet on his part. Like he knew he would try something. So he was ready for it. Mm. And the, the other thing is when uh, the Skull Knight used the uh, Beherit Sword in the volume 26, he said he planned to keep it to attack the, the God Hand. And, yeah. you know, d- maybe because he used it at the time, he sort of tipped his hand. And then yeah. they knew he had it and they knew they could use it. So when he attacked Femto, Femto already knew about the sword. And so he could, you know, turn things around and use it for his for his own uh, benefit. So of course that leaves the question: Is had the skull knight not come? Uh, <laughs> yeah. Who, who would he have opened up Ganeshka? But you know, at, well, at the same to... go ahead. I was going to say at the same time he's fucking Femto. You know, I mean, yeah, yeah. yeah. he might have a backup plan. Or... He clearly was reaching out for some reason. And... Yeah. The screen becomes brighter well, and bl- brighter he, as he gets closer to Kanishka. Well, so. he reached out. He wipes his uh, he wipes his hand over his eye, like closes his eye, and I think yeah. that's the exact moment that Kanishka dies. He literally just kills him. Like it's like natural causes, but caused by Fento's yeah. will. Yeah, pretty right. much. Know, yeah. for, that's like his time to die. Yeah, and. Uh, exactly. Now, I don't know that he could have, you know, I mean, obviously it shows that his power is beyond the sword. It almost makes it seem a little, you know, silly, the idea that, you know, they was going to entomb, you know, that Skull Knight was going to entomb the God Hand of the Vortex. Because Femto just basically takes the strike and uses it, you know, he, he's above it, he can control it, you know, once it, you know, is unleashed. And uh, so I don't know if he could have done something anyway, or if it just doesn't matter, if it's sort of an irrelevant question, because like this is just sort of maybe how it was, you know, maybe he really did know that this was what was going to happen, you know, and this is just how, you know, karmically or, you know, yeah. causality. Yeah, this was how it was supposed to be. And this is, you know, this was going to happen. Yeah, it's supposed so that, to be a team. Yeah. At the same time, I don't think like if Femto had just stood there and taken the hit, I don't think he it wouldn't have uh, hurt him. I think it didn't hurt him because he he just, you know, countered it in much the same way that Void countered, uh, you know, what the, the Skull Knights attacked during the occultation ceremony, yeah. which is the Godhead are very powerful, like immensely powerful. And so even though the Buried Sword is uh, no doubt a very powerful uh, weapon as well, it was just no match. Femto expected him and he just basically, uh, yeah, he turned his attack against himself. I also we, feel like uh, okay, go on. We say that now, but at the time, I was convinced some crazy shit was going to go down if he split them oh open at the time. Yeah. The way that episode ends, <laughs> it looks like it hit him. I mean, it straight up it looks like a slash through Femto. I'm like, holy shit! 
well, what is going to happen in the next episode. So yeah, it was going to be crazy. But like I said at the time, even though I jokingly hoped the Skull Knight would just keep him to right there and then, yeah. honestly, <laughs> I mean, it, it was clear it wasn't going to be the case. And yeah. uh, similarly, I didn't believe, uh, you know, a few, some people, which I won't name, uh, were saying the Skull Knight might himself be killed in this encounter, which uh, <laughs> didn't happen. Well, I mean, he... he's lucky that Femto just didn't even, you know, care about him enough to do it. You know why? Well, <laughs> you know, <laughs> Femto could uh, could just, you know, I would I won't say dodge the attack, but he could reverse the attack to to damage Ganishka. But clearly, he didn't have the power to to kill the Skull Knight. You know, <laughs> I, I would say <laughs> that is that is debatable. <laughs> Yeah. Anyway, no, no. But seriously, yeah. To to me, it was clear. I mean, Femto couldn't have died then and there. You know, it's, it's yeah. For, it's for guts to do. So it was it was clear to me that uh, it wasn't good gonna happen. Oh yeah. Well, that would be that would be very awkward. Like a, a big investment of time, <laughs> Griffith. You know, for him to just die there. You know, like oh, you know, oh, and now no, we're no, moving no. on. By the way, guts. I I killed your sworn enemy, so you can just take a rest now. Just oh, yeah. retire. You remember and Casca that, happily ever after. Remember that, remember that bird man? Yeah, I got him for you. <laughs> yeah, he's, uh, I nailed yeah. him. So, um, I, 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 I cut his really fucking head off. <laughs> I never thought he was going to kill him, but I thought maybe he'd be the, yeah. the slash. It would be a huge wrench in the gears for. Playing. I feel like I feel like we're both we're all excited about like you know like I've said it before like how cool would it be like even if, like either way like how cool would it have been if you know like he had just knocked Femto on the head and like knocked him down. Yeah, just put yeah. him on the ground. And I said it about Skull Knight too. Like, if Fem- how great would it be if Femto just like knocked Skull Knight off his horse? You know, yeah, basically. Right. You know, it doesn't have to be like really more. It doesn't have to be wounding him or mortally hurting him. Just you know, showing that kind of having that kind of physical effect on them that we've never seen before. Really. Yeah, it's really pretty cool. And you that said is... something interesting. At oh, sorry. No, no, no. You continue. Well, you said something interesting as about how you didn't think the strike would have like really hurt him. Like well, even no, if it connected. Yeah, no. At the, at the time, yeah, no, no, no. Actually, I think uh, if uh, the if the strike had uh, hit Femto, I think it would have it would have hurt him. I, I I think so. Well, yeah, I guess. But let me just okay. Going back to what we were saying about how you know it just did, you know you dodged it, it didn't work. You know because they're so immensely powerful. Like it's sort of it reminded me of what Skull Knight says in twenty eight when he's talking about how nobody you know, can hurt Griffith that isn't, you know, a magic user, isn't outside, you know, it's like someone within the story trying to hurt the author. Yeah, exactly, yeah. It's, it's, like, I don't know, I feel like it's almost the same way with the, the Behirat sword and, like, the God Hand, because it's, like, it's their, it comes from their power. Yeah. Uh, yeah, actually, it's, it's true, it's a very good point, but the thing is, the berries come specifically from the Eat of Evil, it's what, uh, yeah, Rora mentioned, so, yeah, it's a, it's a good point. I, I also saw the same thing. Like, w- was it futile from the beginning because the Beherits are always connected to, to the idea of evil, and basically, he he can't use it against uh, its will, or at least you know not very easily. So yeah, it's it's a possibility. Well, the uh, the, yeah. the 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 variable in that is that their function's been subverted to a different yeah. function here. So yeah, I mean, exa- yeah. exactly. So the the thing is, the Skull Knight, you know, I mean he modified them within his body right. so are they still are those behaviors still tied to the either evil and are they still controlled by it it's hard to say and i, I imagine the skull knight you know made sure at least thinks they are not but yeah. uh well, you know, go ahead in any case it wasn't enough to to kill femto or yeah, even to yeah. hurt him <laughs> <laughs> what's interesting about the behaviors sword i've never actually thought about this before but 
You know, whenever Slan appears in 26, uh, Guts be here, it starts vibrating and it forms its full face. Yeah. He gets, gets like kind of nervous about like, Godhand being around or whatever. It's, it's reacting in either way. It seems whenever, disturbed, you, yeah. Right. If you look at the way the sword cuts through the air, all the eyes are pointing towards Femto at that moment. And they keep all, – all of them look towards <laughs> Femto like, oh. <laughs> all of them are still. Yeah. <laughs> and you know, so, holy shit, what are we doing? <laughs> no, so, no. <laughs> there are also other instances where the Beherit is disturbed. Uh, the first one is in, um, you know, during the incarnation ceremony. Mm-hmm. Like when, yeah, yeah, yeah. when the things are culminating and uh, Femto is about to be incarnated, you know, it, yeah. it's also disturbed. And uh, there's, of course, uh, when Slan appears, it's disturbed. And when the Skull Knight uses his technique, the Beherit is disturbed as well. So, right. Yeah. Yeah, it feels like oh, it, it, re- it really doesn't like that. <laughs> hey, guys, what are you doing to my buddies? What's happening? Yeah, so yeah, yeah. To um, him, it's like seeing like it would be like if guts like if Skull Knight pulled out a sword with like human skin on it. <laughs> like, okay, I got this new weapon. What do you think? Uh, <laughs> I wanted to um, I wanted to give us the opportunity to talk about the way Femto describes the Skull Knight is uh, the one who attacks the God Hand at the junction of times. Yeah, okay, sure. Well, yeah. What that might mean, the, the term itself, I, I think we've touched on it, but we didn't go head first into it the last time. Well, there's a lot, there's a lot to, uh, we could say about it. Sure. Basically, uh, it's a time at which, what the you know, term itself means is a point at which two times uh, cross. So, uh, two or more, but uh, basically, it's a, a point at which times meet. And what two times are those in this particular instance? Well, that's hard to say, actually. Yeah, that's yeah. Uh, the, the big deal is we don't really know. So, you know, if we wanted to be a bit silly, we could uh, think it's some kind of, you know, time travel related. Like, you know, when Ganishka uh, blows up Fantasia into the world, it coincides with the time you know, Fantasia was taken away from the world, like the, the astral world and the material world were divided a thousand years ago. But well, there's uh, too many things uh, which don't, don't match for it to make sense. It's... It could be. It could refer to the fact it's a, a time at which a point in time at which many threads or many possibilities uh, tie together. Mm-hmm. Many many uh, causal threads are brought together, and basically at that point specifically, like we know, things can't be preve- You know, uh, can't be predicted accurately. Like the impossible can happen, the unpredicted can happen. So, uh, I think it might refer to the fact. Uh, from that point on, several new possibilities, you know, arise, and you know, things can change, you know, significantly. That's 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 the definition I go with. It, it just makes the most sense. It's the most comfortable to me. Yeah. When you start talking about alternate times, it's just I, I don't see any. Yeah. It's, it's hard for me to lose my. I kind of lose my footing. You like know, like I said, it's a it's a silly theory. And, well, sure. And there's just uh, just there are too many things that contradict it in the story for it to be possible. Right. But it is, it, the terminology itself is very yeah. particular. That being said, particular. It's, a, yeah, it's, a, it's still very interesting that uh, Murad uses the word uh, time. You know, yeah. it could be space. If it was space, we could say, ah, oh, well, it refers like when during the eclipse, you know, they go several dimensions, you know, are connected. But here's the word time. So uh, it's a bit, yeah, it's, it's very specific. I don't think we, we have all the answers uh, yet. And sure. I think we have, we have yet to know what these points uh, can mean. And if Guts is to ever kill Griffith, uh, I think it will be during one of those times. And we will have to, to know more about it sooner mm. or later. 
Yeah. Mm. What I think is interesting about it is uh, that he actually, like, Skull Knight, you know, they say how it's, like, a time when unpredictable things can happen. Yeah. And it's it's interesting that it's, like, Skull Knight sort of, you know, I don't want to say he's become so predictable. That sounds like, you know, like an insult or something. But it's, like, it's, like, it's interesting that Femto's actually taken it into consideration. And now he, you know, he is predicting that, you know, Skull it actually became part of the plan. Like we said, like, what was he going to do if Skull Knight didn't show up and do that? And it's interesting that Skull Knight is sort of, you know, that involved still yeah. in the flow of causality, you know, as they see it and as they manipulate it. Well, that they're still using him. Yeah, yeah. You know, he's, he tries, like I said earlier, he's like us, like relentless, stubborn. So much like Zod expected him to show up, you know, during the occultation ceremony, he was waiting for him and he was like, oh, yeah, I knew you'd show up. Well, yeah, why wouldn't the god and expect him as well? So yeah. pretty much yeah. it did, and he just showed up and he got, you know, played. So yeah, <laughs> so that's interesting because who what's going to be his next move? Yeah, uh that's a perfect transition because you know, we were talking earlier about how volume twenty six and volume twenty eight, Skull Knight makes several consecutive appearances. We haven't seen Skull Knight interact with guts since volume twenty eight. It's been a long time. So they're kind of overdue for a talk, particularly because the world's changed. And he, the Skull Knight directly attacked, you know, Femto, who Guts, of course, has a close connection with. So I think they're going to have quite a long talk the next time they face each other. And I can't wait to see what Skull Knight says. Yeah, well, that's true. What was interesting about the end of the scene in general is it ends on uh, Falconia. And we don't get, you know, we don't get like that shot of Skull Knight on the cliff looking at it. You know, usually that's right. how these things end. So it's like, you know... We don't. We uh, we still don't know like the aftermath of that form. Presumably, he just you know he left. I mean, there's nothing special or no reason to read into it. I mean, he could be dead though. <laughs> Let's go nuts. <laughs> but, oh, uh, you're talking about the wind or the the tidal wave of astral trans transformation. The wind that blew over everyone. Yeah, yeah. Talk? Well, and uh, the wind that blew over everyone in Falconia. We never get. We never see what happened to him afterwards. Mm. You know, just you know, either him. You know, just riding off. I'm sure he just rode off. I don't think there yeah. was probably any major consequences for him. Like he, you know, I don't think he turned into something else because of the the wave. I mean, it's possible, but. I actually developed uh, a side project where the world changed and he became an ASCII text art <laughs> in, my, in my version of it. I remember that. <laughs> but yeah, I don't know. I mean, that's, yeah. a good, that's a good point. I never really thought about how it might affect him, an uh, astral being. I don't but. think because, yeah, he's like Apostles, uh, he's an astral being. So yeah. being already an astral being for him, I don't think it changes anything. Well, no, I just... I, and, and just more simply, like, we just never got any closure yeah. for him from that scene. The last time we see him, he's, like, his standing on Ganesh. We don't even see him fly away like we see the others. He might have been above, but, I mean, he's just standing there sort of watching it happen. So yeah. we don't know really where he where he landed on all that or, you know, what is, like, yeah, you well, know, usually we'll get his opinion, you know, a little bit. And, uh, yeah, of course, and we might also mention that Ra Rakshas was there. You know, he didn't... Oh, yeah, I was so going to ask if we were going to talk about yeah. that. So, it's a yeah. whole uh, what, can what of happens? worms. What happens then? <laughs> oh, I'm telling you, Rakshas uses stealth. <laughs> stealth mode. <laughs> he's, he's riding on... So he's on the see, bottom of his car. I don't see <laughs> The tracking is, device. I've never understood. I would, I'm glad you guys are here to hash this out. I've never understood why it was that mysterious. Like, here's the deal. <laughs> Rakshas is a Kushan himself. Why wouldn't he want to be present to witness the death of his emperor or the former emperor? I mean, there's, there's one thing. Uh, first, I, I don't think Rakshas really 
podcast. Yeah, yeah. As doesn't understand yeah. this either in the same sense. Like he doesn't. I don't think. Yeah, you don't believe like in that that yeah. theory, right? Yeah, I I don't think uh, Rakshas cared so much about Ganishka, but okay. he wanted to see what was going to happen. Anyway, the events were interesting, but you know, yeah. Zod tries to when the Skull Knight attacks uh, Femto. Zod uh, reacts and you know attacks the Skull Knight, but we yeah. don't we don't see Rakshas. He doesn't. He, he doesn't do anything. Like he wasn't there to protect Griffith. He was there to observe what was going to happen, or was he there also for another purpose? But the point is, I don't think he really cared about Ganishka. Honestly, yeah, I don't think so. I don't think he cared either. I mean, I think either it was you know that was, all of that was just to have him like him under the wing and observing was just to either is the way to involve him in the scene somehow in a sort of unique way. So he's not just like, because you, you know, you don't usually see him like on the ground, like, you know, you would see Locus on his horse or anything. He's usually perched somewhere or something interesting like that. So it, simply it could be just to have him involved in the scene or there's some purpose to it that hasn't been revealed yet. Well, I mean, it, it makes him another witness to the beginning of the new world and how the new world started. So uh, that could play come into play later yeah, on. Yeah, it well. could just be him talking about it. Yeah, at some and, point. Right. And, I, and I think he also, I mean, what's important is he gets to see uh, Griffith uh, as Femto and how he take, took care of Ganishka. So, yeah, in, th- in that regard, and what the Skull Knight tried to do to him. So, he, he there's a lot of information for him to, to have on, the, on that part. Yeah, right. and well, what I find interesting about it is, I mean, I did that whole, I did a huge thread on this, where I, you know, I'm like breaking down the panels, and I point out how, you know, there's like a reaction shot of the world changing, because we talk about how he was, you know, he was there to bear witness, but there's no shot of him after we initially see him there, and after Zod attacks Skull Knight in particular, we never see him again at all. It's right. like he's, he's, we never see like his mask, you know, like, you know, with the light shining in it, like we see everyone else seeing the light. Mm-hmm. They never show him again. So similarly, we don't see Skull Knight's reaction either. So, well, no, we do see he looks at. We see him looking down at the crack and everything. We never see any reaction from Roxas after we just first see him there, and particularly, you know, where I'm obviously directing this. We never see him again after Zod attacks yeah, Skull okay. Knight and fails. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know. Like I'm just you know looking for you know, things that, you know, so we aren't surprised. Like, I just sort of look at that, like, maybe there's something to that. Probably not. The simplest explanation is there's nothing to it, but maybe, you know, there there is some, you know, bigger purpose. There was a big, there was a reason he was there more than just a witness. Right. Well, I guess we'd have to see, you know. Especially with Femto knowing, you know, that Skull Knight was coming. Right, right, right. Uh, the only thing I had left to discuss about this was predictions on Skull Knight moving forward. Um, you know, I, I think we're close to the point where his past will be revealed. I think that could happen even in L film. Well, some of it could uh, yeah. be revealed in FM. I'm not sure all of it, but yeah, some of it. Because we all assume, I, I guess, that uh, he's going to uh, appear in L film. So, <clears throat> yeah. Uh, let's talk about the nature of his past, just how we think it's like you say, part of it were revealed. I mean, is there any inclination that we might get like a full, like, like say a two episode flashback where it actually like, it's not even him telling the story. It goes directly back to what happened and we see his past, you know, Mm -hmm. like for at least a part of his past that way. Or do you think it will be like, maybe he'll just say something and it's going to be dialogue sort of like, you know, Shirke describing the last wear of the armor dying. 
Oh, it, could, it could go both ways. Well, personally, I hope we get to see dedicated episodes, but uh, yeah. it's not certain. It could be some panels. It could be just text. It could be a whole episode flashback, like for Ganishka. You know, there could be a lot of things. But uh, at, the, at this point, in my opinion, there's precedent that it will be a longer section. Like the snow and flames? That, uh, the, the fact that we got so much information about the Count, we got a little scene with Roisin, we got a scene with Ganishka. I think there's precedent that it would be a longer thing for someone as important as Skull Knight, particularly yeah. because his past is so tied to the 1,000 years ago event. I mean, there's a lot to say. I, I can't imagine it would all be done just in a conversation with Guts or something like that. I would, well, I would, you I, know, there's an interesting thing about the precedent you bring up with all those other characters, bar, you know, aside from the Snow and Flames episodes, is that, all, you know, they we, all die. Yeah, they all die when we get there. Yeah. It's, sort of, it's the same thing as Vagabond. Yeah. You always get their, whenever someone gets killed, you get their whole life story, you know, right beforehand. <laughs> and then it'll, you know, come out of their, you know, you'll go from the flashback out of their eye and, you know, you see their death look <laughs> as they right, go down. Right, right. But yeah, so uh, I hope that's not the case anyway. I would love it to be. A two or three part episode that'd be ideal for me. Just focusing on uh, an actual like firsthand account of the past. I would love that. I mean, I don't know if he's gonna yeah. get it. That's my hope. Yeah, literally, where like it goes, you know, basically from his point of view, it's actually yep. like Gazrick becomes the main character for that section. It could even be a first, a, a completely omniscient thing. I wouldn't mind that either, either, either. But it'd yeah, be well, great if it was told. I, I, I wouldn't mind if uh, you know there were two volumes dedicated just to him. <laughs> yeah, that doesn't oh, yeah. mean it's going to happen. <laughs> I, yeah, I don't think so either. But who knows? Like it would, it could be a, it would be an interesting, uh, an interesting little section or a chapter if well, you they know like dedicated even, that much to it. Even if they gave a whole volume to the one thousand year incident, guess what? People would complain. Oh, oh. man, are they still talking about Skull Knight's past? Oh, I want to see Griffith get his head chopped off, man. That's why I'm reading this. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's is. I think that's as good as any point to. Cl- come to a close on Skull Knight. We've covered every single appearance he's made, at least all the significant ones that we have things to say about. I'm not sure where we'll go from here uh, in the main thrust of the podcast. We'll probably talk about it before we come to a conclusion, but I think Zodcast the Zodcast or Godcast? We already did our Zodcast. Our Zodcast is tied <laughs> hand in hand with this one, so. Uh, well, thanks guys for touring Skull Knight with us, and maybe we'll do a guts cast or something like that in the next couple of weeks. Oh, but it should take like you know only ten podcasts. Ten, ten for guts. Yeah, we'll be recurring talking <laughs> about the same exact incidents we just talked about. We just won't talk about the armor. We covered that already. <laughs> for guts, it would be like thirty-six podcasts, like as many volumes <laughs> as there are. You know what I mean? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Yep. Well, thanks guys. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Yeah. No yeah. Problem. A big part of Mass Effect the series is importing your, your old save games and things like that. But for me, it was like a huge hassle because uh, I installed Mass Effect 3 and I was going to import you know the first save game I saw or the most recent save, and I thought that would be the best one. So I get into it, and it turns out like a bunch of the decisions that I'd made were not the ones I'd wanted to have a full game with. They were just like me experimenting with the outcomes of possible scenarios. I'm not going to spoil it, but... You know, I, I chose the wrong way on multiple different things. And so I'm like, fuck, I guess I'll just have to go back and replay the last part of Mass Effect 2 just to get like a clean save for Mass Effect 3. But even with that clean save, the character, my romantic interest in the game is Liara. And she remembers certain things <laughs> about your past. Like, it's really hilarious how, you know, I have this situation where 
Like, I don't even remember. I, I imported my save, and apparently my romantic interest for both Tali and Liliara. And I don't even remember sleeping with Tali. I must have been drunk or something like that, because I don't have any <laughs> recollection of it happening. And it, the game remembers, though, of course. And so I'm like, oh, shit, I don't remember what that happened. So I guess I'm just going to have to like, have a sit down with Liara. I'm like, listen, baby, maybe it did happen, maybe it didn't, you know? But <laughs> I'm here for you, Okay. <laughs> So I have to have like this conversation with this fake character about a fake relationship that I don't even remember that occurred. And I really only clicked the tally option just to see what would happen. Just to see your face, you know? <laughs> and you didn't see it. You, you know? didn't see it, correct. So it was a complete waste of my time and sexual energy. Oh, I just was into it, man. I, oh. <laughs> I mean, yeah, my, it's funny, though. I tell my, uh, my dad plays Mass Effect, too. And when I tell him this stuff, he's like, oh, you mess with those tentacle heads? Oh, man, no, I, I only <laughs> sleep with Earth women. You know, sorry, pal. I'm not that desperate. I only <laughs> he's, like, he's, like, he's like, he's on Team Ashley. <laughs> yeah. He'd be like from, and, he, and he'd be for Miranda, too, like from Emmy, too. <laughs> yeah, because Ashley is fucking gross, honestly. I mean. Yeah, racist, space racist. I mean, even with other racist stuff, she's not physically attractive. So, well, they change her. Oh, not oh, to me. You know? They change her character design in three. Oh, well. She has, like, her, her looks. she has like longer <laughs> hair and she looks quite a bit different in my She's actually, wow. she, you know what? She looks like she has Miranda's body now, basically. <laughs> she looks yeah. like Miranda. Unfortunately, okay. she's not going to look like anything in my game because. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's right. You can't yeah. hide it. Kaidan will look great though. <laughs> Her humps and chumps and feet might look more attractive. I can, have, I can have a gay relationship with him or something. Yeah, actually, I've, I've, I've seen a, a preview for the YouTube video for the Mass Effect 3 homosexual relationship scene. Ross. Uh. I've not actually seen it. I just, you know, I know it's out there somewhere. What? <laughs> it's good to have the choice, I mean. Yeah, I, I wonder if you can do it with Rex. I'm just curious. <laughs> yeah, that's works. what I was wondering you too. Know, <laughs> <laughs> I think I would actually do it. <laughs> the, difficulty, the difficulty is though, like Shepard couldn't be on top because Rex is a turtle, and if turtle gets on his back, he can't turn back over again. So, <laughs> have to be Rex on top. Wow. Gross. <laughs> yeah. So uh, yeah, I, I kind of led into Mass Effect Three without explaining that last podcast. I said I wasn't going to buy Mass Effect Three, but that's because I had forgotten that I had pre-ordered it like three or four months ago when it first showed up. <laughs> Origin, because I was, you know, I kind of committed to playing the game before I, before the malaise had set in, and so I just, I, I had it in my account. I'm like, well, fuck up. I guess I'll install it at this point. So I've only played like two or three hours of the game, and I'm not going to say anything more than that because Azil hasn't played it. So, wow. yeah. but, well, it's uh, funny to me how, like, you know, I remember you and I were both, we were out. Like you and I weren't going to play it, and right. I like how we just, we both, one way or another, we all ended up here. Yeah. <laughs> where yeah we're gonna play it together and talk about it yeah i mean it's it was naive it was naive of me to say that i wasn't gonna play it because i'm i'm already invested in it in, in some ways so i kind of have to i i didn't want to spend 60 dollars on it though that's my thing like to me it's not going to be worth a 60 dollar experience but yeah no. anyway. i know i spent a hundred bucks on it yeah, you bought the collector's edition. You're crazy. Yeah, <laughs> man, I hate to spoil it for you, but it really sucks. So sorry. <laughs> and, and I imported it from the USA, so yeah, additional wow. money. Wow. Yep. Wait, when does yours arrive? Oh, it arrived uh, a few days ago, actually. Oh, okay, yeah, that's right. That's and you've been, you've been you've been playing Assassin's Creed Revelations. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Yeah, actually, right. I, I finished it uh, on Friday, so that's why I've been replaying Mass Effect Two to get a clean save so mm. which is almost done you see i, I I'm, 
Yeah, go ahead. I'm totally against that because I've got like my quote unquote dirty saves. Like Rex is dead <laughs> in my world, and you know, actually uh, most most everyone is dead. I need to check. You know, like who are, I don't even remember who's dead and alive. I'm like a real callous leader. <laughs> like, there, there, I'm not going to spoil it, but there is a way to check in the game, and you should check that out without saying yeah. anything more. You know, I'm so much of a, of an idiot. I actually bought a new DLC when I started replaying Mass Effect 2, which which is the last mission I haven't you know done yet. So, yeah, I actually paid five bucks for it. So wait, yeah. wait, but the From the Ashes DLC? Uh, no, it's um, Arrival. Oh, oh, that thing. Yeah. Oh, okay, right. That, that's terrible, man. Yeah, that mission is god awful. <laughs> what? <Well>, thanks. <laughs> I guess have I'll... fun. It's one of the worst <laughs> missions in the entire game. No kidding. Well, I, I'm pretty sure it's not as bad as the second DLC from Mass Effect 1, you know? Um, oh, Pinnacle Station? Yeah. I had more fun with Pinnacle Station. Oh, God. I, I really, really did. <laughs> well, well. well the I only can't... one I played was like the one about... The only DLC I played in the whole series. Well, actually, I guess I got a couple of them for free with my, my Cerberus membership, which is just bullshit. Yeah. Uh... It's not free. I, mean, I don't know. It's not like getting it free if it's just free anyway. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it was the the one falling out of the sky, the one from the first game, something yeah, from the yeah, sky. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that was good. Which, yeah, yeah, that one was neat. Yeah, it was free with the PC version of the game. That's right. Yeah, that's why I uh, I uh, I also paid for it. You know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well. <laughs> you are really supporting Mass Effect. <laughs> yeah. Yes, I am. Why? Are you gonna play like the the post the supposedly post Shepherd games? Because I don't even believe that they're gonna probably bring them back. Yeah, well, I don't know. I'll see. Yeah, probably actually. Yeah. No, there's yeah. no doubt. There's no doubt that they're continuing uh, Mass Effect series. They've invested a lot of money in it, so. Oh yeah, it's not gonna go anywhere. It's a very popular franchise. It's not gonna go. They've anywhere. worked very hard to turn it into like a level shooter, you know, that's very popular. <laughs> so. Yeah. They're not gonna just turn their back on that. Everyone's saying good things about the multiplayer. I have absolutely zero interest in the multiplayer. Oh, yeah. yeah I'd forgotten that I was multiplaying the game. I also yeah. have absolutely no interest in it. Yep. And that's coming yeah, from somebody either. who... I actually play multiplayer games quite a bit. It's just... I don't want... That's not... I don't want to play Mass Effect that way, though. I mean, yeah. Whatever. I mean, the game's all about the story, you know? Exactly. I like, I like the gameplay in the game, but... It's, it's not like it's a main attraction, you know? That being yeah. said, if it was a co-op option and they kind of play with like you and Griff or something like that, I think that'd be really cool. Yeah. Even if it was, even if it was three shepherds, <laughs> <laughs> that would be weird. Well, I wouldn't mind playing as you know Legion or something. Oh, what yeah, about yeah. Garrus? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I'd play as Rex, you know. Yeah, yeah. I like that. But well, you know what? I was telling uh, Walter about this, but like it's funny because I have like this like I I've, I'm on the same page with you guys on Garrus. He's like he's sort of a moody bitch and like you know he's he want he he wants to be me basically. Uh, <laughs> he wants a, to be Shepard. He's a wannabe, you know. Yeah, he's a wannabe, but he's like my right hand man. He's like been with me through like the first. He's the only one in you know ME two that doesn't turn his back on you to some degree. It's like oh. it's so he was he was even the one who like took my hand at the end of ME two. I don't know who it was for you guys. I assume it's different depending on your playthrough and who's you alive. Mean you, you mean when you jump when you're jumping away from the collector base? Yeah, and yeah. And you're, there's a moment where you're gonna fall and like right. you know one member grabs you. He was my guy. It's like he's and so I have like this. I I don't like him, but it's like we've been through so much together, and he is like my right hand man, and I take him with me on all the missions. Like it's just a weird like <laughs> fake relationship. See, I've never I've actually bad for I've, you, seriously. 
I've never done a single mission with him. Not one wow. <laughs> in the entire series. Well, you know, it started in ME1 because he just looked neat when I first got him. It's like, well, he's a, I want aliens in my party. So I had like Rex and Garrus yeah. and they had all sorts of neat conversation. And uh, and so, yeah, but now it's like morphed into this thing where it's like, he's my he's my trusted associate. He's the one, you know, who's like, I, I know he's going to be like with me and he'll do what I say. <laughs> you know, right. So, yeah, I don't have to worry about him questioning me, you know, like in, a, in any serious way. Actually, I, I don't think Garrus was that bad in Mass Effect 1. You know, he, he had some problems, but it wasn't too bad. It's in, I think it's in Mass Effect 2. They pushed him yep. too far in that direction. I, I, I think they took him the wrong direction. But at the same time, it's what apparently a lot of people wanted. You know, the yep. same people that wanted to have, you know, sexual relationship with him. So <laughs> I, I guess fuck these people. You know, it's the people who like Star Trek and this kind of shit. You know, fuck them. <laughs> the people who read Star Wars novels, fuck them. Yep. <laughs> <Yeah>. Hey. <laughs> no, yeah. Sorry. I know. No, but uh, no. But the funny part about that is, is that those you realize those are the people that are writing like the story of Mass Effect, yeah. Yeah, right? Yeah. <laughs> like they, they were the ones who got the input into the game. Yes, I do. <laughs> Actually, you know, I'm still in awe at the fact the story in Mass Effect One and Two is, you know, I I would say pretty good overall. But yeah. the, no- the novels, the Mass Effect novels, which are Ooh. written by a guy who is considered a main writer for the series, they're, they're bad, you know. I mean, <clears throat> they're just bad. They're, they're not- quite bad. Yeah. I imagine, ba- based on my ex- experience, I've read three of the books or two of the I've read two and a half. I could not get through the third one. Good God, that was bad. So um, I imagine, based on my experience with those books and the games, they must have a different guy that does dialogue. Because the dialogue that that guy writes was like the kind of shit I wrote in like seventh grade. I mean, it's terrible, bad, yeah. well, really cliched shit. It's just I've, you know, it's like video game and movie novelizations. Yeah. You know, it's that level. So it's like yeah. the ghost, the ghost dad novelization. Yeah. <laughs> well, I don't know. It's like one of these things where it's like the game. I bet the the stories feel a lot better than they are just because it's so interactive. So that immediately gives it a leg up. If you actually like read it as a book, it's like, oh, well, you know. It's like you've yeah. read way better science fiction, so it's like yeah, yeah, it's probably true. You're right. Yeah, the interactivity. You're right. I, I think it's. I think it's the, the default. Oh, sorry, go ahead. I was just gonna say. I, I think as far as sci-fi goes, I, I think for video, as far as video game sci-fi goes, it's pretty amazing. The story is actually quite uh, good in the context video, of a video, video game. game. Great. But yeah. For a novel, I, I don't think it would be very special. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Well. Well. Yeah. Probably. Next to like Dune, for example. Yeah, of course. <laughs> yeah. yeah, of course, for sure. I mean, there, there are a lot of really great, well, there are f- yeah. some, a few, a couple yeah. great science fiction novels. So, yeah, compared to these, you know, it, it doesn't, you know, stand up. Right. Anyway, they, uh, go ahead, Azil. I was going to say, um, you know, about uh, Assassin's Creed uh, Revelations, which I finished. Yeah. You know, actually, the, the game, I, I felt it was shorter than uh, Brotherhood and Assassin's Creed 2. But I have to say, as the game progressed, mm-hmm. I, I, it kind of I kind of changed my mind on it, which is uh, I, I thought it was a bit you know too much of the same, but I like the, the you know closure it gave to Ezio and Altair because you, you play some missions at Altair, mm. and uh, it's you know in the first game there's very little about him, little background story. It's not very right. developed. It's all about the gameplay, and there's nothing else to do basically. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I, I like the closure it gave them. So actually, if you could find the game for five dollars, I'd say play it. Yeah. Well, you probably will if you hang out on Steam like around Christmas. It probably will be five or ten dollars, like in December or something like that. Wait, yeah. can I get it on Origin? 
<laughs> I, don't, I don't think so, actually. Ubisoft probably would say no to that. But maybe yeah. they do. I don't know. Which, by the way, when I turned on my computer today, first day post-Origin, it immediately has a pop-up like, hey, contact your friends. And I'm just like, oh, my God. <laughs> what, have I, what have I done? Oh, I just added the executable to Steam. I run it from Steam. Oh, okay. Yeah, I, uh, uh, I'm i going to delete it when I'm done with Mass Effect 3, <laughs> needless to say. I am curious about Revelations because I, mean, I, I do really like Ezio as a character, and I'm curious about how he ends up. But... I'm not sure I want to play through another another game, considering that I haven't even finished Brotherhood yet. So I might be like, I might ask you how it goes, Azil, and it's like that, that that'll be my. You well, know. sure, but you know, honestly, I could tell you it. You know, it doesn't take long or anything. But I think the way it's done, the scenes, uh, cinematically and thematically, you see it coming. But it's still pretty nice, and uh, I'm not going to say it's touching, but yeah, it's it's a fitting end for the character, and it's you know, he's a sympathetic character. And it's a fitting end for him. Even Altair, you know, who's kind of, I don't know, he's not very, you don't really relate to him, but he still has, you know, I think it's well done. The story yeah. is well done. And, you know, we are talking about Mass Effect and how oh, the story is pretty good. Well, I, I think they have some pretty good writers uh, for the Assassin's Creed series. And it shows, you know, so that's why even though the gameplay was a bit tired and it was, I was going through the motions, but... Yeah, it wasn't too bad. And even the Desmond, there's also some kind of a Desmond, you know, it's a first-person view where you go through his memories. Yeah. It's also it's also not too bad. So overall, yeah, f just for the story, it's worth, it's worth, you know, paying five bucks for it. And just if you rush through it, I think you can be done in just, you know, 12 hours, maybe at, at max. Yeah, I was just going to say $5 for the game itself, but time to me is very valuable nowadays. And I'm not sure I can spend 12 hours in a game Rather than just, I kind of just want to know what happens. Yeah, so, well, it's just, just YouTube videos, you know. <laughs> that's probably what I'll do. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of, unfortunately, which, you're gonna have to hear someone talking as they play through it. Oh yeah. Not, not all. Actually, there are, there are very few, but they're out there where people just record the gameplay. I'm actually looking yeah. for one because I've heard some really amazing thing about Asura's Wrath. That despite how crazy the game is, like apparently it's really fun to watch. Yeah, I'm looking for like a, a playthrough of that where someone just silently playing through the whole game. Yeah, I heard it's all about uh, you know Q QTE. So yeah, yeah, I it's don't. Called, know. They, call it, they call it burst on the screen, <laughs> burst button, and then crazy shit happens. Like he pulls his arms off and throws them at people and things like that. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I'm gonna tell you. There's one thing I heard about the game. Apparently, you, you, you encounter an enemy. It's not a spoiler or anything, but one of the uh, events in the game is that our quick time events is that. A guy stabs you with a sword that goes through the earth. It's so long. It goes to the other end of the earth. <laughs> it comes out the other side. Oh, wow. So, yeah, that's that game. Yeah. Yeah, it did seem a bit, you know, all the top. Yeah. But that's part of why I was kind of excited about it. But then again, we saw that little video of it, and we were both very embarrassed by how cheesy it looked. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, the part where they kill his family or whatever, it's very... Uh, uh, voice acting so horrendous. Too. Yeah, everything's bad about it. <laughs> Man, I really wish Infinity Space 2 would come out on 3DS. Fuck. Yeah, it's maybe, coming out. <laughs> Six months. You know, I, I'd I gave, you know, I don't know, a, a thousand euros in a Kickstarter project for Infinity Space 2. Well, dude, here's the, here's the problem I have with, with Infinite Space. It's like, I would love there to be a sequel. But it's in the hands of Sega, and Sega is a freaking nightmare right now. Like, I I don't know. Do they do they own the IP? Sorry. Do they yeah. own the IP? Well, I don't know about. Well, I don't know 
who actually owns it. That's under the publisher of the game, and I imagine that its fate is tied to them. And didn't that interview with that guy, the director, say that it's up to Sega? I forgot. Actually, it wasn't an interview. He sent me an email, you know. That's all right. That's what I meant. Sorry. In the email, uh, I said something about uh, No, it. I forgot. I, I forgot, actually. I don't remember. Okay. Yeah, maybe I'm pretty I, sure. That's, the one, that's one of my one takeaways from that talk was that. Well, the thing is, they need, they need funding to do it, but you know, it could always be a Dark Souls situation where basically they call it, I don't know, infinite, you know, or vast space or, you know, grand space or some shit like that. Since yeah. they, they can continue the same story anyway, so they have to start over and just do something similar in a different setting. But uh, yeah, I, I don't know. Anyway. To me, it doesn't even have to be tied to the 3DS. Well, that would be great. Like, I wouldn't mind them making a little more grand as well. But of course, that. Oh yeah, sure. I mean, if it could be for the Wii U or the Xbox, you know, seventy, twenty, or some shit like that, you know, sure. Yeah, that'd be great. 